we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. What? If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? If you're looking to make sense out of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chicky Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917-889-3675. So sit back, relax, and remember, Southern Sense is Common Sense. Headlines, breaking news. It's another hurricane. Oh, no, wait a minute. It's an earthquake. Oh, no, it's another riot going on. Oh, the world is falling apart. Every day, another shocking headline makes you wonder, what will tomorrow bring? That's why those who know what's coming are using today to prepare. I'm talking about getting your family some high-quality emergency food from My Patriot Supply. My Patriot Supply is the nation's leading preparedness company. They've been in business going on 14 years now, and they've served millions of American families. Now, they want to help you. By giving you $50 off their popular four-week emergency food kit, you'll get four weeks of food per person with meals designed to give you more than 2,000 calories a day. Oh, by the way, this food stays fresh for up to 25 years in proper storage. So it will be there when you need it. Other food goes bad fast. So don't wait. Go to preparewithsouthernsense.com and claim your four-week emergency food kit. You'll save 50 cents per 50 cents. No, not 50 cents. $50 per kit. If you act now, now you can go to prepare with SouthernSense.com, or if you're listening to the show on my website, just go to the top left-hand corner, click on prepare, go to Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, Southern-Sense.com. Don't wait. Do it today.
All right, and welcome back to another adventure here on Southern Says. Now I am having a little problem with my studio light. It keeps on turning itself off. Jeez, what else can go wrong today, Annie? Anyway, you're here listening to Southern Sense live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, oh, uh, Facebook, YouTube, iTunes, <laughs> iTunes, iHeart, oh, half a dozen other places. I don't even know where I am anymore, much less what planet I'm in. So just go to the name of the show, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. I'm your hostess, of course, with the least most is the radio chickadee, Annie, along with my co-host who's rolling in the aisles right now, and his cousin's going, this is the nutcase that you are co-hosting with? Curtis, C.S. said it. <laughs> Good afternoon, Curtis. Oh, man. Yeah. I don't know what it is. You know, the light keeps on turning off. <laughs> oh, it's just, um, well, this ain't Friday 13th, is it? No. This is the 19th, know. but anyway. <laughs> I don't know. I, but you know, you know what? Oh, I was going to say, you know, we are in the crosshairs of YouTube. They have now taken down two of my shows over the past year. One in April and last week's show they took down. Believe it or not, folks, wow. they said I had misinformation on there when I was quoting government sources. <laughs> and I thought I was bad when they took down my website. I guess that's why my, my pockets are a little lighter today, because this was my day to um, contribute to four of my, my um, friends' campaigns. I have four friends running mm. for various office at the um, national level and some at the state level. So I did that today. So like I said, my pockets are a little lighter, especially after spending a whole lot of money at um, the um, floor um, place. Um, for flooring for my mom's renovation at you know at her house. So, but you know you make money, you spend it. What can I say? That's the American <laughs> way. <laughs> but your pockets aren't getting lighter because of the price of gasoline. <laughs> really? Oh, Come man. on, Curtis. You're in Pennsylvania uh, yeah, right now, aren't very. you? When, That's what's right. The price and it's of gasoline crazy. over there. Yeah. I range from three thirty-three to three sixty-five. Man, I, I went to the gas station, and I have something called a gas buddy. Folks, you can actually check into this. Um, I pay only $6.99 a month. It gives me uh, a form of AAA, uh, you know, emergency road service, plus every time I fill my tank up to 40 gallons, and my, my car is a 13-gallon tank, uh, so I can fill it several times a month. Uh, but during the month, up to 40 gallons, and you get 20 cents off per gallon. Now, I'm not doing a commercial for them. I'm just telling them this is what I use. They have no idea I'm talking about them at this moment. But I've been using them for the last couple of years, and it really does, over time, save you a lot of money. So with the price of gas, look for services like something like gas. But if there's something else out there, go for it. But if you can turn right. around and tell Uncle Sam, you're not getting that much money for my gas. Uh-uh, no way. Do it. Yeah, it's ironic. It's ironic that um, it averaged me $3.05 a gallon of gas coming up here from Florida. But just to think, $3.05, who would have thought ever that would be a, a, a good figure amount to, you know, get gas on when you're used to, like, $1.68, $1.88 under Trump. But Trump is not yeah. in office no more. So, hey, 
I guess we have to get used to it. Oh, oh, oh wait a minute, folks. Wait a minute. The uh, uh, creepy Uncle Joe, you know, the poopy pants president, is currently undergoing a colonoscopy. He turned over the reins of power to Queen Camilla Mella. So technically and officially, we have our first female black president for the next couple hours until creepy Uncle Joe comes out of the uh, anesthesia and is able to resume his duties in office. <laughs> duties. The poop oh. president. <laughs> who who oh, no. said they planned for him to come out of it? <laughs> Whoever said they oh, planned geez. for him to come out of it? I don't know. I don't know. But uh, we got <laughs> Queen Camilla Mella now t- as temporary president of the United States. Anyway, we got ourselves a, a, a really jam-packed show. Um, we had a last-minute uh, change in our lineup. If anyone looked at the uh, lineup yesterday, uh, we had one person that dropped out. But we do have, from the London Center for Policy Research S- Senior Fellow, we've had him on before, I do believe, Dr. Steve Hatfield. Uh, oh boy, this is this one. This one guest will probably get this show pulled down. And then YouTube sent me a warning. They said if there's a second incident of this, they are going to to ban me for two weeks. So I may go into YouTube Gitmo. <laughs> so be prepared. I'm probably sure Facebook is looking at this also because if YouTube is taking me down, Facebook is not going to be too far behind. So I'm going to have to start looking at, like, Rumble and a couple of other places to try to get the show up and, and showing. Anyway, um, we're also going to have Dr. Kathleen Brown. She's going to be talking about CRT. Dr. Hotfield's going to be talking about COVID and what actually whether or not this is actually a vaccination. Uh, John Stinson will be here. He is the spokesman for We Can Be Heroes. Now, we've had Beth Heath on before, um, but he is now her spokesman for her organization. And then running for candidate against my representative, my congresswoman, Nancy Mace, Lindsay Piper Loomis. And she, I had a conversation with her on the phone the other day, and she sounds like a solid conservative, where Nancy Mace crossed over the aisle on several issues. Uh, her reasoning was, well, nothing was getting done, so I figured we got to cross over the aisle to get this stuff through. No, you don't. No, you don't. You make them cross over the aisle to you. You don't go groveling to them. Nancy Mace, you turned around and said you were conservative. You've let us down. And there's, there's a whole plethora of people running after her. And we're going to try to get each and every person that is challenging her going into the primary on the show. Because this is a district that we must make once again conservatively, conservative solid. And then we're going to have finish off the show from the Heritage Foundation, Catherine Gorka. We had a blast with her last time. So um, we got a, a lot going on here, Curtis, a heck of a lot. Yes, we do. And I, I love to hear her speak, Catherine Gorka. Oh, Catherine. Yeah. yeah, she and her husband, Sebastian Gorka, do a podcast together. And Sebastian Gorka got involved with this new uh, thing, um, Oh, shoot. What is it? Freedom Square. It's a new website, and I just signed up for it this morning, uh, so I haven't had a full chance to uh, explore it, but we'll talk to her about a whole mess of different things. Anyway, those yeah. that listen to the show know that we do a dedication to a fallen hero, and Curtis, this one's going to be quite a long one. 
uh, because it's going out to 13 law enforcement officers who lost their lives wow. in the line of duty due to the Chinese COVID virus here within the United States. And this was only during the month of April and May of this year. And as I pushed the video for the dedication, <clears throat> these are the officers. It's not exactly in date order. I kind of got the pages a little messed up, but we got each and every one here. <clears throat> this is from the Officer Down Memorial page that you can find at odmp.org. In the line of duty from COVID virus, the Chinese COVID Wuhan virus, Patrol Officer David Alan Marshall, Texas Christian University Police Department, Texas. End of watch, Saturday, May 1st, 2021. Lieutenant Adam Dale Wisenet, the Florida Division of Alcohol, Beverages, and Tobacco out of Florida. His end of watch, Tuesday, April 27th, 2021. Deputy Sheriff. Alexander Wodewitz, Harris County Sheriff's Office in Texas. End of watch, Thursday, April 22nd, 2021. Corrections Officer Jimmy Garcia, Texas Department of Criminal Justice, Correctional Institutional Division. End of watch, Thursday, April 15th, 2021. Border Patrol Agent Christopher Shane Simpkins, United States Department of Homeland Security, Customs and Border Protection, United States Border Patrol. End of watch, Monday, April 12th, 2021. Deputy Sheriff Carlos Antonio Hernandez, Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office, Florida. End of watch, April 11th, 2021. 21. Deputy Sheriff Joseph Brandon Gore, Brunswick County Sheriff's Office, North Carolina. End of watch, Saturday, April 3rd, 2021. Deputy Sheriff Dustin Kyle Speckles, Hayes County Sheriff's Office, Texas. End of watch, Sunday, May 30th, 2021. Border Patrol Agent Juan Manuel Urrutia, United States Department of Homeland Security, Customs and Border Protection, United States Border Patrol. End of watch, Friday, May 28, 2021. Deputy Sheriff Daniel Duke Trajillo, Denver Sheriff's Department, Colorado. End of watch, Wednesday. May 26, 2021. Superintendent Scott D. Slip Mahoney, Delaware County Bureau of Park Police and Fire Safety, Pennsylvania. End of watch, Tuesday, May 18, 2021. Deputy Sheriff James Herrera, Denver Sheriff's Department, Colorado. End of watch, Sunday, May 16th, 2021. And finally, Border Patrol Agent Freddy Vasquez, 
United States Department of Homeland Security, Customs and Border Protection, United States Border Patrol. End of watch, Saturday, May 8th, 2021. This show is dedicated to these 13 law enforcement officers who lost their lives because of the Chinese COVID virus in the line of duty, serving on the front lines. We dedicate this show to all the brave men and women that serve as first responders, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. We also dedicate it to all the brave men and women that serve in our armed forces from the birth of this nation through today and into our hopeful and majestic future. We dedicate to this to them this song by Todd Allen Herringdon, My Name is America. May God bless each and every one.
and we're back here, here with Lisa Southern Sense here on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook, half a dozen other places, including iHeartRadio and iTunes. Oh, good Lord. Just go to the name of the show. Put a dash in the middle. Southern-Sense.com. Of course, I'm your hostess, the Radio Chickadee Annie, along with my co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. And I, you know what? I am really messing myself up today, Curtis. I had someone send me the, an email saying they got a backup phone number for our guest, and I can't seem to find it. Uh-oh. Oh, I don't know where it went. Uh-oh. And guess what else? We got a problem. What? Guess what else? My chat room was lost- not coming up. Chat room, yeah. Ah, you're on your normal laptop, or you got a different one? On the same one. I have um, some pictures of circles with a mic inside of it, and in the middle, it's just gray. Oh, no, that's not good. That is not a good thing. Well, anyway, it looks like, I'm just trying to pull this up, um, that the verdict is in. Uh, oh, for the, the um, written house. Yeah, but I'm is. trying to trying to pull it up. Trying to pull it up and it's not pulling up. Maybe if someone else has it, they they can pull it up for us. Uh, but meanwhile, I'm looking for this email. And oh, good luck. This is what happens when you don't pull up your email all the time, and you go to a computer that you normally don't get your email on, and. It, <laughs> you find out like you're a week behind, and now it's pulling everything else up. Oh, Jesus. All right. Anyway, um, if anyone does have the news up on their TV or something, because I'm seeing that we do have a verdict, but I can't get the article to pop up. I'm trying to pull it up, but it's it's not pulling up. Then again, okay. I'm trying to do they it on my cell they, phone. they say they have a verdict, but they haven't announced it yet. Oh, okay. All right, that's probably why I can't pull it up. <laughs> All right. All right, well, yeah, it looks like there is a verdict. So they've been out for four days now. So let's hope it's a split and it goes to the judge and the judge decides on a mistrial. Let's hope for that. But I can't find this guy's email. But All right, so we'll just hope that our guest does call in. Otherwise... I, I'm, I'm not getting anything to work right now today. No, I don't want that. Anyway, uh, we've got a lot to talk about. That's if I can get my act together here, guys. Just bear with me. just want to go over this again and know I don't see it. All right. So I'll just have to send him a message. Oh, they have announced it. Okay. All right. So Sasquatch put it up there. So what is the verdict? They have. He's been acquitted of everything. Good. Ah. Then right and tear up the place. Well, that's going to be the next step. Kenosha's going to go on fire, and I pray that doesn't happen. But the troops are already in place. Black Lives Matter and Antifa are already in place. So you know, if you live in that area, guys, hunker down because it's going to be a rough one. And I pray for you. I pray for each and every the innocent people that are going to be caught in the middle of that. And I hope that no one gets killed or anything like that. And what city so, did this happen? Uh, Kenosha. Kenosha, Wisconsin. Kenosha. Oh, yeah. wow. 
But that, that, that has to be a movie. That whole trial, if they don't make that into a movie, I'm like, come on. I'm sure there's a lot of conservative uh, producers out there that are willing to turn around and take the transcripts and everything that happened, including what happened in the jury room. For that to take them four days, and then to finally, because everyone was predicting with, with it taking this long, it would have been a split, 6-6, six, 6-4, six, six, six against. But if he got acquitted of everything, I mean, then that's a jury that did their job and did not get intimidated by MSNBC or by the and Black the Lives Matter guy that was five, all the rest of them that were attempting to intimidate. So I, I got to hand it to that jury. They did their job. Hmm. Good for the kid. And I was listening to, um, was it Sean Spicer on Newsmax? Um, when he was pointing out the control that Kyle Rittenhouse uh, um, displayed, where this one idiot, what was it, Lemon, said that he shot 60 rounds. No, he fired a total of eight rounds, and each was a controlled burst. Now, Sarge is in the chat room. He knows what I'm talking about. You know, firearm control. You don't just put your finger on the trigger and just let it rip. You control. You control the number of bullets that go out. And he fired only eight rounds at three individuals. So he exercised for a, a, a young kid at 17. And Sean Spicer said, that's special ops. That, that's a Marine. That's a future Marine. So I do hope the Marine Corps takes Kyle Rittenhouse in. I do hope they recruit him. Anyway, it looks like our guest is in the studio. Let's welcome aboard onto the show. Uh, excuse me, Dr. Stephen Hatfield. He is a senior research fellow for the London Center for Policy Research. Good afternoon, Dr. Hatfield. How are you today? I'm losing my voice. <laughs> Good afternoon to you. How are you doing? Uh, I, I am losing my mind, but it looks like we've got a verdict in on the Kyle Rittenhouse, and he's been acquitted. So we were just talking about that. The jury did their job. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Well, you you have a very interesting background, and um, I, I do believe a number of years ago you were on the show. I think you were talking about biochemical weapons. Um, so it's funny because when I saw your name, it goes, I know that name. I think I've had him on before. But am I losing my memory? <laughs> am I right or wrong? I no, think you were at one point. years ago. <laughs> this was, oh, now, wait a minute. This was all part uh, just... of the time when the biolog Biological Weapons Improved Response Plan was ongoing. And that actually mm. served as the baseline for what eventually became the 2005 National Pandemic Plan, which involved early outpatient drug treatment for COVID cases. Uh, while we waited for a safe uh, vaccine to be developed, which I, we I weren't sure that could be done. Well, you know, it, it's funny because just before the pandemic was announced officially, you came out with a new book, which I actually went to Kindle and purchased because I didn't know you had this out there, called Three Seconds Until Midnight, where you basically yeah. predicted everything that was going to happen. I haven't read the book yet. I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to have to definitely have you back on to help you hump the book. 
but I, I was I was I was getting whiffs of something going on in the Wuhan virus back in September October of 2019 yeah. because I had two friends that were missionaries in Wuhan and they had to be very careful about how they sent emails out and what they sent out and said but they kind of like warned us ahead of time so back in November and December I was making my own face masks and my own uh, hand sanitizer but it took our government until March to actually officially recognize this? Well, the thing was, um, there were indications early on that something was happening. But one of the problems with pandemic warnings is you have to have boots on the ground and see what's going on yourself when there's a... Uh, suggestions that something is happening. And then the WHO climbed on board, and obviously there was, it, it was infectious to other people, person to person. And they, uh, they, they delayed this until they just couldn't hide it anymore uh, because of the wishes of China. And during all these delays, about a million Chinese flew into and out of the United States. Uh, this was even after they locked their own cities down and quarantined their own cities. They were allowing them to fly to the United States and Italy and other places. So very disturbing pattern of behavior by the Chinese Communist Party. For the second time, they did the same thing in 2003 with the outbreak of the original SARS virus. So this is in violation of all international health regulations. And it really uh, should be driving us to improve our pandemic surveillance capability. We can do this. We know how, but they just don't seem to do it. Well, now, we're going to get into discussing whether or not this is actually a vaccine or not. But I, I, I've been following a lot of stuff that the Chinese have been doing. I've been talking to various different experts, you know, my friend Gordon Chang, uh, General Spalding, oh, and several other people. Yeah. Oh, his wife is so sweet. She's such an adorable little doll. Anyway, um, she is. Got to be honest about that. But whether or not this is actually a vaccine. But what really frightens me is that when you look back at how this developed over all the years, where some of the investment monies came from, some from American billionaires, some from our government, some from the French government, and they contributed thinking that this was going to be a benign research facility when instead the Chinese had already had plans. They wanted to figure out one way in which to defeat us without having to fire a single shot. And what really is now disturbing is that now certain... Um, of these ancestry registry companies, the Chinese now own. They're trying to find ways to buy up our DNA to do another attack on us. And no one's paying attention, are they? Well, I don't know about that. That's very subject to discussion. But uh, mm. they certainly didn't help the pandemic once it got going. And they've done everything they could to inhibit any investigations to the origins. Uh, there's a paper out, I think yesterday, in Science Magazine, 
where they say, oh, yeah, yeah, we found, we found one of the ladies that worked in the wet market at Wuhan, and, you know, she looks to be the index case and this and that. But basically, I don't, you know, I'm not being bigoted or anything, but I don't trust anything that comes out of the Chinese Communist Party. Um, I wonder why. <laughs> I wonder yeah. why. Well, yeah. you know, uh, they're, they're pushing these, these different vaccines, especially Pfizer. And I, I find it ironic that Pfizer, was it just yesterday, asked to have all the documents sealed about this vaccine for the next 55 years. Never heard yeah. of that ever happening before. Uh, but thankfully, as of this morning, there's a lawsuit against that. But this, is, this contains a M. RNA. What is that? That's a genetic code that when these particles are not viruses, the, the vac, they're not vaccines to begin with. The FDA categorizes these as a biological product, and they actually come under the treatment protocols. So the idea was that uh, we have these artificial lipid particles and we inject them into your arm, and they go into your muscle cells. And they will attach to your muscle cells, and they will inject this little bit of uh, nucleic acid, this, this code, to make one of the viral proteins. And that protein is called the spike protein. Well, the, there's some problems here. Because in the animal studies, which Pfizer had hid, from the European Drug Regulatory Agencies. And I don't know if they submitted them here. They're trying to find out. But the vaccine in the animal tests did not stay where you injected it. In fact, it went through the lymphatic system and disseminated all over the body, including the lining of the blood vessels, the heart, the lungs, the blood vessels in the brain, and the gonads. And um, once they get attached to a cell and this messenger RNA, this nucleic acid code is injected into the cell, it takes over the cell machinery and you start making the spike protein. So widespread dissemination of this uh, biological product on injection uh, was, I don't want to say hidden, I don't know how thorough everybody was at looking at this, but it's, it's certainly very unusual. Second, the scientists at the time did not realize that the spike protein itself caused pathology, caused disease. Uh, it will bind to platelets and trigger clotting, abnormal clotting activity. Uh, it can set up a generalized immune reaction uh, there, there's a whole rash of things. Antibody-dependent enhancement. In other words, it can, it can, if you subsequently catch a viral strain that's mutated away from the original strain, which was, what, 18 months ago they started working mm -hmm. on this, then uh, the disease you catch might be worse. And then what happens when you inject somebody that's naturally had an infection, a COVID-19 infection, and recovered, and they have a... We now know there's over 79 papers showing that naturally infected people that recover 
which is the majority, have an overwhelming cross-reactive superior immunity than if you receive one of these messenger RNA vaccines. The reason for this is the messenger RNA, quote, vaccines only triggers your immune system to respond to one protein. A natural infection with the actual COVID-19 virus, your immune system makes an immune response to multiple proteins that are associated with the virus, multiple different proteins. So when you're faced with a strain in time, in a future time, that's linked, you have a a bit of cross-reactive immunity to that. So essentially, the virus that the messenger RNA vaccines were geared up for no longer exists. It's mutated away into later B, we call them clades rather than strains, uh, into later B clades, alpha clades, um, and the delta clade, which is now predominant and circulating in the United States. And the delta clade is gradually showing resistance to any effect from being vaccinated because of the natural mutations. You cannot vaccinate yourself out of a fast mutating viral epidemic like we see with COVID-19. It's not a traditional vaccine. It's not like the vaccines for measles, polio, chickenpox, smallpox, yellow fever, which give a very long-lasting immunity. This is a very narrow, focused immunity, and it's focused on a protein that's not only harmful in the body, but it's a protein that very rapidly mutates. And um, we knew this back at the start. Um, When early February, uh, a lot of individuals thought that it was probably already here and that what's being done, and I was invited into the White House uh, to work on this problem to provide outside scientific medical advice. Um, We were behind the eight ball. Uh, Most of our drugs come from China, so there was a huge, huge effort to try to get critical drug domestic production back on U.S. soil. All our personal protective equipment is made in China, the bulk of it. And now there's an urgent rush that that had to be dealt with. The cities, and especially our mega regions, have been warned for 20 years to get ready for something like this. And uh, Los Angeles and um, New York City uh, literally did nothing. Uh, Incompetence in uh, civil administration. So now we had to worry about where we're going to get these ventilators for the critically ill patients. So what was started, what the White House started was like a Manhattan project that led up to the atomic bomb. They were trying, Mm. like in World War II, we tried three different methods to concentrate the uranium isotope that we needed for the bomb. Massive plants, huge experimental manufacturing processes and they went three different routes in the hopes that one would work. Uh, This is precisely what the Trump administration did. They tried multiple avenues. The first was 
could we find an effective drug therapy we could give to outpatients, patients that weren't yet hospitalized. And we did. We found, we found two right off the bat. One of them was being made by the ton in China and uh, was being used successfully in South Korea. And there was very good papers coming out of France from Dieter Raoult and his people showing that, you know, we really, we really did have something here. And within a very short period of time, we had 62 million doses of this drug called hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine wow. in the national stockpile. And then the FDA came along and did everything they could to have the drug banned. You know, millions of people take hydroxychloroquine throughout the world for things like rheumatoid arthritis and lupus. I think some of your listeners would have heard of that disease. Mm -hmm. Or other things like scleroderma. Uh, connective tissue disorders. And they're one of the safest drugs <clears throat> in the world. It's more dangerous to take um, um, an Advil than, than it is to take hydroxychloroquine, and the treatment was only going to be for five days. And you start the drug right upon the onset of symptoms, and the majority of patients taking it early would not progress to hospital. Now, we didn't have the long-term studies, but we had good enough observational studies to show that the type of benefit you were getting by the early use of these drugs, and it's only for five days. You take three tablets the first day and one tablet every 12 hours for the next four days. Um, it would keep the COVID-19 virus up in your upper airway. It wouldn't get down to your lungs. Mm -hmm. And incorrectly, there's, there's, there's now 333 studies showing the overwhelming benefit of this drug if given early, at preventing hospitalization and mortality. And the FDA just quashed it. They did everything under the sun they could quash, quash it. And it was eventually banned. They said it was causing unusual heart rhythms and people were dying. What they, whether they realized it or not, what they never announced is that it was the virus that was attacking the heart, not the drug. Yeah. Doctors yeah. still kept using it because it was working. Hmm. But Doctor, people that had Dr. never Hatfield. had hydroxy, yes. Yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but this is the co-host. I've heard um, this so-called vaccine described as a therapeutic. Could you tell us what a therapeutic is versus a vaccine? Therapeutic is something used for treatment. Um. When the vaccine came out, uh, its endpoint was to protect against hospitalization and um, death. That was its major endpoints. And to try to keep this to be a self-limiting infection in the upper airway with only mild symptoms. Um, it was working initially, but by the time 
you ramp up vaccine production and you disseminate it and you start getting into people's arms, the virus changed. We had the bee clade come out of India, which was a hybrid type of virus. And uh, it's carried on from there. So um, they had, uh, it's still experimental when they brought this out. Well, doctor, I've got, if this is changing the, the RNA in our bodies, as you said, it spreads through, it's altering our physique. And they're trying to give this to children that are pre I can't even say that. Before they've hit puberty. Yeah. Thank you very much. My my tongue got put in backwards this morning, <laughs> along with my dentures. <laughs> anyway, um, we have no idea how it's going to change the ch- the bodies of these children. Now there are reports of women having miscarriages, of men losing their virility, of uh, blood clots, inflamed hearts. Uh, and numerous other conditions that are going on there, uh, muscular disorders. Um, we know blindness, that it loss is. of limbs. Yeah. yeah. And it, these viruses this, should have uh, been pulled in um, in the first four months that they were issued. They've caused more serious injuries and more deaths than all the other vaccines for all the other different things that the FDA has fully licensed for the last decade. Um, now, this is probably going to get... They should have been they, pulled. This is probably going to get YouTube to pull my video down again because they pulled down my last show uh, because they said I gave out false information. But I quoted... No, this, this is all referenced. This is all right. referenced literature from peer-reviewed accepted international research. Exactly. You know, and government I can send you research, a list but, of the papers if you want. Oh, no, I, trust me, I probably have half of them in my hand right now. But the yeah. uh, adverse reaction report that came out from our own government, which means it, they're, they're low-blowing the numbers. They're not giving us all yes, the facts. If it's coming in. But their report that came out September 9th said, from the vaccine, there have been 16,766 deaths. Those are the ones that have been reported or that they have acknowledged. So that number's got to be a lot higher. And as you said, there has never been a, an instance where a alleged vaccine uh, has caused so much harm and death. The data that I use is from Britain, which don't have as much um, propensity to lie to their population. Mm-hmm. Um, the right now, and we're speaking right at this moment, uh, you can be fully vaccinated with the two shots, like a Pfizer mm-hmm. or the Moderna, and you can still catch COVID. And if you catch COVID, you have just as much virus in your upper airway as somebody that's not been vaccinated and catches COVID. You see what I'm trying to say? 
oh, the vaccination, people can give this infection to other vaccinated people and to unvaccinated people. And now, as I'm understanding it too, those that have got the natural immunity because they had the, the virus cannot give the virus to anyone else. There's 79 studies now, over 79 studies, showing the superiority of natural acquired immunity over the vaccine. And if you mount an effective neutralizing antibody response, uh, your illness is down to a couple days rather than maybe two weeks. So there's less chance for you spreading it. The, the, The FDA itself has acknowledged, number one, that the vaccines are losing their efficacy. Number mm-hmm. two, in their letter to one of the manufacturers of the vaccine, they, they came out and said, this was in a German company, that they're incapable of monitoring adverse events, harmful events from vaccination. And they're requiring the manufacturer now uh, to do this as part of... As if they um, tell the truth. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm serious. As if, they, as if they would tell the truth. You know, of course they're not going no, to they're they're give you... Tell the truth. No. 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 The I'm, other thing is that, again, I'm looking at British data and Israeli data. Uh, Israel did a study of two and a half million patients. And they uh, found that fully vaccinated individuals were six to 13 times more likely to become later infected with this Delta variant that's going around than those who developed natural immunity from a previous COVID infection. And that the fully vaccinated individuals did not have good protection against developing a more severe disease. In fact, the risk of developing symptomatic COVID-19 was significantly increased among the fully vaccinated, and their risk of hospitalization was eight times higher compared to persons with a naturally developed immunity. And all this was confirmed by Public Health England data published on September 3rd of this year. Um, They show that from February the 1st, uh, 2021, to August 29th, 2021, they had 1,798 deaths within 28 days of a positive test from COVID-19 variant. Uh, the fully vaccinated population accounted for 1,091 of these deaths, with just 536 of these deaths occurring among the unvaccinated population. So this, this messenger RNA COVID-19 biological for product from Pfizer can no longer reliably prevent infection reinfection viral transmission or death from COVID-19. If they want to call it a vaccine, it's a failed vaccine. And this was reaffirmed on 6th of August this year when uh, Rochelle Walensky, Dr. Walensky, the director of the CDC, stated that there's concerning evidence of waning vaccine effectiveness over time against the Delta variant. Now you want to give it to children who are, yeah. for several reasons, pretty much resistant against COVID-19 infection. This Mm -hmm. does not make any sense. The fatality, infection fatality rate of COVID-19 in children is an almost infinitesimal 
0.001% to 0.002% in ages 5 to 9 years of age, with a mean increase in this uh, infection fatality rate of 0.59% for each 5-year increase in age past 10 years. Overwhelmingly, the deaths that we've seen in this 5 to 11 uh, age group have been due to serious pre-existing other diseases in, 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 in these four children. The reasons for this is that children in that age group have a very low number of uh, viral receptor proteins in their nose and mouth. And their immune systems are so strong in this age group that if they're naturally exposed, they, they get minimal symptoms to sometimes no symptoms at all and they get a, a robust cross-reactive immunity to uh, associated strains downstream, you know, in time. Variants, if you will. Children are not significant transmitters of, uh, of this virus to either adults or to each other. And they've played only a minimal role in the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, well, that's almost as if I'm reading you. You're reading your paper that you wrote that's on your website under your name, drstephenhatfield.com, that was reference data to parents concerning the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccination for children aged 15 to 12. I'm holding it up for the camera for people to see all the scribbles and notes. 15 15 to 11, actually. (laughs) All, All the notes. But if they go there, they can read the entire uh, paper yeah. that you wrote about this. And uh, as I said, I, I've got this highlighted and scribbled and underlined <laughs> all the notes because yeah. I did read it. And it's something I have been following for a long time. And one of the reasons is, is that I had, when this broke out, my, my mom had a stroke and she's now yeah. living with me. Uh, so she's someone that if she has another blood clot, she could die. Yeah. So I had yeah. her go to my doctor and then to the cardiologist to decide whether or not she should get the vaccine. And then I asked the same questions because I had too many strokes. I have a heart condition. I have several other yeah. conditions within me. And my doctor had to close his practice for two weeks because he did catch the virus. Uh, yeah. So we sat down and we went over everything. And he says, no, because of all the side effects that you are talking about, don't get the vaccine. We did the same oh. thing with the cardiologist. And yeah. this is what people are, are not hearing both sides of the story. The, the fake no, news they're, they're is only one side, and they're not listening to people like you. And when I put you on the air, then you get you two pulling me down because we're giving out false information. But you back, back this with 79 other documented papers, your paper. Yeah, well, I think there's 31 references in these different areas that I touch on in this paper. You need to understand, France has just banned the Moderna vaccine. The Scandinavian countries have banned the Moderna vaccine. England is going to get rid of their so-called vaccine passports because you cannot vaccinate your way out of a fast-moving RNA pandemic. There is overwhelming evidence now that a number of safe, inexpensive outpatient treatments 
can help to keep this virus, and again, the earlier you take it to the time that you start symptom onset, the better it's going to work. But COVID-19 is a treatable disease now with these drugs. It always has been. It always has been, and we've known this since March. We have 62 million doses sitting in the strategic national stockpile that the FDA has banned from using, and Dr. Fauci at the NIH. So instead of treating people early as outpatients, you go see your doctor, you don't have to wait for testing. Your doctor will make a clinical decision. You're in the middle of a pandemic. You have all the signs of COVID-19. We've been treating patients on suspicion I think since medicine was first invented. Okay, if you come see me for a cold virus, I'm not going to take a nasal swab and send it off and see which cold virus it is. There's 120 different ones that can do this. A couple are coronaviruses, by the way. No, in the middle of a pandemic, common things occur commonly. It's a safe drug. We'll give you a treatment course of this. We'll watch you, make sure you, you don't get a uh, pneumonia from bacteria superimposed on top of this. Go home, keep yourself at home until you feel better, and that should be the end of it. And for anyone, depending on what studies you look at, anywhere up to about 80%, 89% of patients, this is what happens. Doctors are still using this, although the FDA doesn't approve, they're still using this. The reason this got a bad name was because Janet Woodcock, who is now the acting FDA commissioner, back in um, February, March, she was in charge of drug safety. And all we needed, we had the drug, some of our friends overseas had donated vast quantities of this stuff or the precursors that you needed to make it. Um, and almost overnight, we, we had 62 million doses. Wow. Well, These were put into the be- national stockpile, and it was blocked, essentially, intentionally. Yeah, because you cannot you- have a vaccine if you have an existing safe outpatient drug treatment. Any vaccine will have to go through the full process. And you can't have that if you... Yeah. If we... All right. Well, we're out of time. I apologize. Um, I, I wish we did have more time. You definitely have to come back on, especially after I read your book, Three Seconds Until Midnight, People Can Get Up on Amazon. There's a link to it on your homepage that people go to. Doc, it's Dr. Stephen Hat. Bill.com. They can also find you your articles up on the London Center for Policy Research. We have to have you back on. There's so much more to talk about. And so i got to do more to get YouTube to yank me down. What do you think? Yeah. <laughs> well, God Again. bless you for the hard work. Yeah, thank you. God bless. You have a great weekend and have a happy Thanksgiving, sir. You too, man. Nice to chat with you. All right. Our pleasure. Check it out.
Dr. Hatfield, uh, it's DR, the initials for Dr. DR, Stephen Hatfield.com. He's also at the London Center for Policy Research. We've got our next victim in on the, uh, the, the studio here. Want to welcome first time to the show, and I'm losing my voice, Dr. Catherine Brown. Good afternoon. How are you doing, Dr. Brown? I'm fine. How are you? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm nuts. As it is, every Friday I do the show, I'm so discombobulated. <laughs> but, uh, man, I've got to find my notes now. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Again, all tons of lots of stuff circled. And, oh, man, you um, started your, your practice, which is dermatology. And when Obamacare, or as I call it, Obozocare, uh, came into existence, you found a way to work around it with your practice, which you've now moved to Montana. What did you do differently to keep that patient and doctor relationship without nosing Uncle Sam in the middle? Yes, well, I was in a very nice multi-specialty group and um, you know, I had certain issues that were occurring and I went to D.C. I was opposed to, I call it the Unaffordable Care Act, but... I went to D.C. and I sat in legislators' offices and realized that they weren't going to fix my problem, which was um, a, a bad payer mix. I mean, you know, that's kind of lingo. But, um, you know, workload going up, time with patients going down, just a lot of things outside my control. So I just opened an independent practice and I charged by time and I made it reasonable. I was in a um, not affluent area. Most of what I do is not cosmetic. It's mostly skin cancer, acne, psoriasis. And I just posted prices, and I was super busy. And we had a lot of doctors say that that will never work. Why would people come see you when they have insurance or Medicare? Um, But one of my biggest problems was actually Medicare, even though I thought Obamacare was going to make my life worse, (laughs) And, and the ability to treat patients as they deserved less. You know, it just becomes impossible, actually, to treat patients the way that you see fit within the third-party payer system at a certain point. Well, how, how did you handle patients that had insurance then? Well, we were very upfront about it. It's on the website, Facebook page, um, in the office, on the phone. And um, we just, you know, I had it written out. I had a handout and explained it. And so... You know, people with Medicare and Medicaid would not get reimbursed, but people with Medicaid, about a quarter of Oregon's population, uh, they didn't cover most of the dermatology diagnoses anyway. So these people couldn't get in to see a specialist. So I just charged them a reasonable amount. If they wanted their acne treated, they were actually happy to pay a reasonable amount. Or if they weren't happy to pay a reasonable amount, they didn't come in. But I was able to treat them very nicely and Gosh, I had people who I charged very little who paid me more. They were so appreciative. I mean, you can't even accept that if you take Medicare and Medicaid, if somebody pays you more. But my staff would say this person paid you more, you know, because I'd given them a discount and they paid more because people actually do, some people uh, value good Mm -hmm. care and attention and they're willing to pay something for it, just like the other things they want in our economy. You know, I do. I, I am old enough, and I'll admit this, to remember the days where I could walk into my uh, my doctor's office. Um, he would turn around and say, "All right, it's thirty five dollars for the visit." But if I only had five dollars in my pocket, he said, "No, you know, just pay me what you can when you can." Those yes. type of doctors, they 
they just don't exist except for, you know, someone unusual like you because they get caught up in the system that you have to be answerable to government and you have to be answerable to the insurance companies. It gives no latitude for treatment between the privacy of the patient and the doctor. All of a sudden, your information right. is out there and everyone is passing it around and handling it. No, you can't use this medication or you must use that medication. I mean, I just had to go around with my... Um, my prescription insurance company, and I'm going, wait a minute, I paid $97.50 for the same exact medication back in September. Now I go to get the refill on the same prescription, and you're charging me $323.21? What happened here? And I had to sit on the phone. Yes, it's not accountable to you. Yeah, and so now this is what I had to do, 45 minutes on the phone going between the pharmacy and the insurance company trying to figure out what the heck is is going on and how do we get the cost down. Imagine what the doctor is doing to find out whether or not the treatment that you want to give the patient is going to be authorized. Yes, well, someone besides the consumer with your issue is really setting the price. I mean, ordinarily, prices are responsive. You know, you're not going to keep going to the same grocery store if they're charging twice as much as the place down the street or three times as much. You're going to take your wallet and go elsewhere. And so the price is really set with you in mind. And um, the price in, in a lot of this is not set with you in mind at all. Now, you wrote an article about Bernie Sanders' deceptive infrastructure plan. Oh, yes. Where do we start on this one? How is this going to alter now the relationship that you have with your patients, and how does this enhance or make Obozo care even worse than it already is? Well, I think it's terrible for health care, and I heard that, um, you know, they passed it today in the House, but, you know, it's changed. It's, you know, it's really the Build Back Better plan, and there's the, you know, they're mixing these terms with infrastructure, but it's the social engineering bill. Um, you know, and they, they've pruned it down some to make its appallingly high price sound reasonable, you know. But um, what are they going to do with Obamacare? Well, Obamacare, um, ACA, subsidizes unaffordable insurance plans for some people and even with that the premium the deductibles are still very high so it's still it's not a plan that anyone would buy on their own you know it's a bad value and it's managed care it you know causes all these problems with healthcare delivery people say why why did i have to do that before i could get an mri um, well, uh, and then the doctors believe it anymore, you know, because they're nurtured in this. They believe that managed care is good for care and saves money, and it does neither. You know, it's really not good for care. It may save money for, um, you know, the employer, but it really doesn't save money. Over, it doesn't improve costs. So what it does, they're they're throwing more money at something that's badly broken, and the more it breaks, the more money they throw at it, but people still don't give good care. I had a gentleman who was my patient in Oregon who had skin cancers, had no insurance. He got on Obamacare. He was subsidized. You know, the premium was partly paid for him. He still couldn't afford to get care because he had a $5,000 deductible. So he still came to me and had me treat his skin cancers because it cost him less than he trusted me. So, you know, Mm. how does that help him? All that money thrown at it, it still didn't help him. Uh, my husband and I and many small business people, we're in that, you know, the, the, the individual insurance plans, and we choose not to buy it now that we're allowed not to buy it. 
we have, I don't want to advertise, it's a non-religious health expense sharing um, association, but basically we pay for our own care because I don't want managed care and I don't want to pay a ridiculous amount for them to ration me. So, um, yeah, they're, they're, they're propping up Obamacare and even when they come out today, like HuffPost came out and said, oh, Obamacare is failing. Well, of course it's failing. And what do they want? They want this thing to <laughs> which will just destroy the little bit good that we've got left. You know, I don't think our, mm. our health care is perfect by any stretch, but who ruined it? Who ruined it? I mean, I think all these government right. programs. And then the doctors, I'm sorry to say, have agreed with it. Doctors started Blue Cross because they didn't want to have to deal with the people who couldn't pay. You know, and down the road, we're the ones who are paying with not being able to treat people as they deserve to be treated. And they're all okay you know, with uh, I, I say they all. Many doctors are okay with that. <laughs> you know, nothing I can do about it. Sorry. <laughs> well, you know, Nancy Pelosi, when she famously said, you've got to pass it to know what's in it. Well, two months before she made that wonderful statement, I wrote a piece on my blog because I read the House bill and then I read the mm-hmm. Senate bill. And that, that's a heck mm-hmm. of a lot of reading. And this was before the two of them were married. Yes. And I took out of it 15 unconstitutional things that are in it. And I started explaining to people, are you aware that you have now allowed government to come into your home and if they don't like what you've got on your in your pantry or refrigerator, and you have children in the house, if they disagree with what the, you're feeding your kids, they can take your children from you. Oh, no, I didn't yes. know that's in there. Did you know that in there they can actually go out and conscript any individual to work for a government agency or something to do either with Obamacare or elsewhere and not pay you for the work you are doing? That is in Obozo case. Oh, I didn't know that. Did you know that it restricts the amount of care you can give to individuals if they are under the age of 16, your child, or over the age of, I believe it was, was it 45 or 65? I forget the actual age at this point. But if you are below a certain age or above, they can deny you care. That is in Obamacare. So when you find out that you're a senior citizen and suddenly say, well, we're not going to authorize that procedure, then you can say, thank you, President Obama. And this, yes. These are the things that are being passed, and they're trying to force through in the middle of the night, and then we've got Republicans that go across the aisle rather than making the Democrats cross over to their side of the aisle to, to correct things. No, it's not working, yes. guys. To, I mean, I'm to be, be a, a little bit <laughs> ideological. I mean, it's that's right progressivism. It's all progressivism. People talk about socialism. Well, the government doesn't really own the means of production. They just heavily lean on the means of production. But it's it's progressivism, whether on the left or the right, the idea that experts can plan our lives for us. And so aside from the money issues, because, you know, they're taking money from people who think it's only coming from the rich. They're still taking opportunity from people. But they're taking your choices from you because they think they know better. And, and that's the biggest thing that's happening is and, – and your doctor anymore is kind of like, well, I don't know better. I'm following the protocols. Well, why bother having a real doctor? And, and you know, they um, – 
You you don't really get a choice under Medicare of whether you're going to have an MD or a DO, a real doctor, versus someone with lesser training. I think that should be your choice, but it's not your choice. So what happens is, oh, you have all these choices, but these choices are within the box that we tell you your choices are in. You know, you can have red pants or purple pants, but you don't know that you can't have blue pants. You know, Mm -hmm. so you have choice, but you really don't. And the thing that gives people choice is having their own money. Well, some people have more money than others and people have emergencies that they can't pay for. And that was the idea of insurance is that and that started with mutual aid societies way back. People who didn't have money, they joined together and, you know, they'd help each other out if there was a crisis. But that now is more like we decide what you get. Some giant corporation, which, you know, the left says they hate giant corporations, but they give them the power by protocol to decide what people get and what they don't get. So you know, unconstitutional, yes. <laughs> well, we're, we're, we're hoping that there are two Democratic senators that will help block this bill. And uh, yes. if, my senator, if my senator ends up voting for this thing, Oh, boy, there is going to be a revolution in the state of South Carolina that you would not believe. They are so pissed off at my Senator Lamesy Gramnesty that uh, that actually I've known several different uh, groups within the state trying to find candidates to primary him out. But, oh, good Lord. Uh, yeah, I can't believe it. It's so irresponsible. It's just It really ought to be called, instead of Build Back Better, it ought to be for our children. That's what it ought to be no, called. I've got a better one than that one. How about build back okay. bitter? <laughs> yeah. Build back yeah, there bitter. You go. Resentment. It's built on, you know, oh, somebody has more than I have, and therefore we need, you know, all of that. That All the worst instincts in people, it plays on that. <laughs> you know, the dis- um, we're going to help this group and hurt this group, and you should all feel resentful about the wealthy. And I mean, that's that's not a good way to live with each other. We we're not living with each other very happily right now, and this hurts it. No, no. And um, the CBO came out, and of course they they can't do a proper analysis on the entire bill. They can only go after certain areas, but they estimate at this point. This will add three hundred and sixty seven billion onto our debt. And that's only what yes. they can come up with. So imagine how much higher that figure actually is. Because you say that they're gonna to start to spend an additional three hundred and seventy billion to expand Medicare benefits, which in fact the Medicare Advantage plans already offer. They do. I'm not a big fan of them either, but they do offer those choices. It's not like those choices aren't out there. They are. Well, as it stands now, my retirement um, uh, comes through New York City, and they're trying to force all of us from Medicare onto the Medicare Advantage plans. Uh, My union president right now has this in arbitration and may possibly sue but as of January 1st, I'm not going to know where I stand when I go to the doctor, whether or not I have my regular Medicare disability or if I have to be shoved into this Advantage plan that I may not use all the benefits. It may not even cover all the things that I need to be covered. It may, I may not even have doctors that are in this plan that I already go to. So they're, they're trying, as you write in your article, to make us dependent upon government. 
we, and as we yeah. were talking early in this show with my co-host Curtis, um, that they want you dependent. And I've said this many times. They want you to bow at the altar of government and no longer be yes. self-sufficient. So you know, that that does give people power. Oh, you need to ask me for for this. You know, you need to come to me for this and beg and plead for it. And you know, we'll take it from other people. We'll go. You know, the, the IRS. I don't know. They they want to expand that so they can enforce more. But you know, they're basically taking it from people who wouldn't voluntarily pay for these things. And then you have to come and beg and plead, mostly as a group. You know, the teachers' union, the whatever these these various industries, and they beg and plead for special advantage. And and that doesn't help it certainly doesn't help the small business it doesn't help anyone who wants um a better future so no it doesn't now you're saying that this plan was really flawed in two ways where it expanded uh, obozo care and first was with medicaid now um Mm -hmm. curtis you you told me the story earlier that you've got a relative that was upset that our our governor is not going to expand medicaid matter of fact is restricting it because it's such a wasteful that's, program. That's true. And mm-hmm. it's an unfunded program. They are forcing the states to provide a service without giving us the means in which to do it. So they're forcing mm-hmm. the states to do something that they possibly can't even afford to do. Correct. Well, a little interesting thing about my former state of Oregon, because they designed an overt rationing system in about 2002, they have this line by line, what we cover and what we don't by diagnoses is called the prioritized list. And then they cut off a whole bunch of these diagnoses when they had a budget decline. Well, when the budget went back up, they didn't add those things back onto the line. And it used to be that in Oregon, doctors made much less on Medicaid. And that's, that's true around the country. But in Oregon, Doctors in the favored specialties, some of them including primary care and uh, I'm sorry, yeah, primary care and obstetrics, um, they make more significantly than Medicare per patient that they see. So, but yet the patients can't get care, and the care is often oh, there was just so many millions lost in Oregon, millions of dollars lost, and the patients weren't getting. The care and what happened to that money? So who does this benefit? I don't think it primarily benefits the Medicaid beneficiaries. They do get some things, of course they do, but many of them fall through the cracks. They're not always treated very nicely because there's a stigma of having Medicaid, and you know it just doesn't do what it says it does. You know, it's, it doesn't primarily act as that that safety net and give people dignity. No, and it doesn't. Horribly wasteful. <laughs> well, you said also the second part of the plan would make permanent the increased Obamacare subsidies that were part of the COVID yes. relief, with with yes. much of that aid going to those who do not need it. Now, I, I hear of, of all these weird agencies that have nothing to do with COVID getting this money. Why are we giving this yes. to other agencies or individuals or businesses that have nothing to do with helping in this pandemic situation, helping with the care of patients or the prevention of the spreading of this disease, why are we giving it to them? Why is an art gallery getting I, several million dollars? What does that got to do with COVID? Yeah, nothing. Well, they, 
I, I, you know, it goes to what are the motives here? Do they really believe this that they're telling us or are they just, you know, but I, I think a lot of them really believe it and they think they know what's better than we do and they're going to plan our society. That's what progressivism really is. Um, you know, talking Marxism, socialism, progressivism, but we know better. We're going to plan this. We're going to make sure that this doesn't cost you anything and it will, and it will fix inflation. Nancy Pelosi just said that it will fix it will kill inflation. It's like anybody in their right mind who took any economics could possibly believe that. So, but I think she believes it. She probably does believe it. <laughs> Queen Nancy. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because we're we're getting this build back bitter, and that's going to be the new name of the bill from now on. Build back bitter. <laughs> like and. And and they're, they're trying to convince us it's an infrastructure bill, but is there any actual infrastructure in this at all? Not that I'm aware of. I have not reread the most recent version. I have not read. I mean, it's almost 2,500 pages. But um, and what they're calling infrastructure is not really infrastructure. It, it really is social engineering. So um, I think a third of it, at least initially, was pertaining to health care. And they're sneaking it in there. I mean, you know, we should debate this stuff like, you know, when we debated Obamacare 10 years ago. Um, you know, that didn't really go very well for them. They, they finally squeaked it through. But that debate did not go well. They had a lot of pushback. Well, people don't know what's in here this time around. And that's one of the biggest points of my article is that here we have an extension to Obamacare, a most massive expansion of Medicaid and Medicare, and, you know, incremental takeover of health care by the federal government, and we aren't even debating it. We should be debating it. Absolutely, absolutely. And matter of fact, um, what's his name? Um, uh, I've... Oh, good Lord. <laughs> I can see his face. But uh, last night he was up there on the floor for two hours. McCarthy. I'm, I'm, Kevin McCarthy. Thank you. Thank you. Like I said, mm-hmm. I can see his face. I just couldn't put the name to it. But, you know, he started off giving some good arguments against it, but he kind of like whimpered off. So I don't, I don't think there was as much fight on the Republican side as there should have been. There should have been forced debate, right. a filibuster, anything, just to stall the bill. But... If that was the best you have, then we're in trouble. And I didn't listen to it. I think they're just stalling. But I think it's a much harder argument to make because everybody sees all the little goodies. Oh, there's this for you and this for you and this for you. And it's a much harder argument to make that overall you will be better off if you have less government intrusion in your life and less expansion of government. But that – that's just hard for people because they, they believe it one way or the other. They believe that, oh, these people, this time they'll get it right. They'll, I mean, but all these things are in law, individual things that they've debated. Well, this person gets this. And, I mean, that's no way. You don't plan your household that way. You don't write up a set of incredibly complex rules to run your household and then refer to that or get punished if you don't follow it. Nobody would run a a home or a business like that. It's ridiculous. You know, you see the things that are coming ahead of you, and you kind of plan for some of those, oh, we may need money for this, you know, in case our roof needs repair. But nobody makes rules for every little thing. You cannot run anything based on that, but they do. They run our lives based on that. 
well, look what they're doing with us with the vaccine mandates. Now OSHA goes yes. back and says, no, we're not going to do, you know, we're pulling back. We're not going to enforce the, but President uh, Biden, I almost said Obama, um, President mm-hmm. Biden said, don't listen to OSHA. I'm telling you the mandate stays. Oh, excuse me, but how many of our first responders, our military, our healthcare workers ha- that were out there on the front line at the start of the pandemic have now lost their jobs? How many others in yes. other industries are now losing their jobs? You know, and people are finally starting to speak out. But here, Oklahoma now is pushing back because they're allowing employees to sue for over one million, for up to one million over the vaccine mandate. So if they lose their job, they can sue not just the business, but the government for putting that mandate in place. This is going to be an interesting fight. I think the sleeping giant with this vaccine mandate has woken up and they're standing side by side with the mask mandate and with the CRT and with now the LBGT community forcing pornography on kindergartners. Uh, I think there's a huge push. Are you sensing what I'm sensing? Yes, and I hope it will be enough because, you know, whether people agree or not with taking a vaccine, you know, for their neighbor, <laughs> I mean, I would say it's their neighbor's decision. You know, people, these people feel very, very strongly, and other people can berate them and say your reason is bad, but they feel very strongly enough to, to lose a job and, um but, but you know, you can't debate every little issue in there. And I think that's another point I'd like to make is, you know, think about if that's you and it's something you, each person, feels that that is their hill to die on. That is their thing that, okay, I'm not going to do this. Well, there's so much in there. You can't know how many things are in there that may snag you in your future. And it's just this, this type of micromanaging of the government, by the government, of our lives needs to decrease <laughs> that is the big picture is you know stop taking away people's choices why do people have the the few choices they have in healthcare? why is it so expensive you peel the onion it's because of government intervention we can provide health care for much less i've done it i did it in oregon we're going to be doing it in montana again we're not offering free per, you know my husband and i we're going to offer reasonable price, transparent price, and people can decide if that's something that they want or if they may use what other options they currently have. And that's what we should have in all areas of the economy, unless we're, you know, going breaking into our neighbor's house and taking their stuff or, you know, taking their life or whatever. We should have the right to make these choices. And the more the government expands, takes other people's money to buy you so-called free stuff, the more the strings are attached, and those strings are a lot. They're a lot. They make it so it's hard to live your life the way you wish. And exactly. not only that, when the government feels threatened like that, then they become very punitive. And like you said, yes. people are losing their jobs. People in the military are being let go with general discharges with no benefits. That's punitive, and it shouldn't be allowed to oh, happen. such a such a good point. Now, if you take your wallet and you say, gosh, my, my grocery store is charging me twice as much for this chicken, I'll go elsewhere. Even though people badmouth big businesses, that business has no such power. They can't say, you have to buy from me. <laughs> you have the power. You can go elsewhere because you don't like it. And that's, you know, that's why we, 
want money, maybe we want some fancy things, but mostly, so we have the choices. We have the things we need, but also we have the choices over the things that are important to us. And yes, that punitive part, you know, the private sector does not have that. The real true private sector does not have that punitive ability. No, we don't. But it's okay for someone that's pro-choice to say, my body, my choice. But if you're you're not pro-vaccine and you say, my body, my choice, you can face a jail. You can face your loss of, of livelihood. You can face a loss of everything because you said, my body, my choice over the vaccine. Well, Catherine, yes. Kathleen, it has been a great uh interview with you god bless you good luck on your starting up your new business there was a fantastic thank you uh just recently i have to mention frontierinstitute.org has an article that's detailing you and your husband opening up the new montana practice if people want to go there to frontierinstitute.org to read the article about you and your husband titled how montana is revolutionizing Healthcare with markets See, I do my homework. Yes. Yes, you did. <laughs> yes, that's a nice article, too. And yeah, we got to get uh, you back. A go-to place. Thank you. I would love yes. to come back. You're, you're welcome back as a guest anytime. I just have Stephen, uh, Stephen to give me uh, another shout. Tell him to hit me in the head with the rolling pin. Dr. Kathleen Brown. Absolutely. God bless. <laughs> and have a happy Thanksgiving. Thank you. And you, too. All right. Both of you. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Now we we've got our next victim up. Uh, oh, we got a lot of noise in the background. John, are you with us? Um, if you are with us, John, we got a lot of noise in the background. I don't know if he can hear us. Um, Curtis, I'm gonna think that maybe you may have to yeah. call him into the show. I'm going to disconnect yeah. him. Do you have his number? Do you have his number, down? No, I don't. Um, can you, are you able to email me? Because I can't see the um, chat room. Oh, you can't see? Oh, all right. No, I, still, I can text I've, you. I've been banned. <laughs> well, oh, text no. me, yeah. Yeah, all right. Let me just pull I've it up because I had this. <laughs> <laughs> This is live radio, folks. This is, oh, here you are. Here you are. Here we go. And come on, pull up. All right. Let me just send this number over to you. And if my figures hit the right numbers, uh, here we go. Live radio, folks. You never know what happens. All right. I think that's right. Yeah, all right. Come on, go. Go, 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 go. There it goes. It went on over to you, Curtis. So if you can, try to pull him back in because there's there's something that a lot of noise that was in the background uh, because I do want him on and talk to him about that. But um, as I was talking to uh, Kathleen, for those that were listening, uh, this is this is very interesting. The fact that Oklahoma is allowing people to sue. And this was in an article in the Epic Times. I love that paper. I'm telling you guys, you got to go and, and subscribe to it. You, if you don't want the paper to come in your mailbox, read it online. You can do it that way, too. But uh, the bill will allow employees of government and private entities to file lawsuits against their employers, purchase 
for as much as one million over health problems associated with vaccines or other forms of medical treatment. So as we're talking about the side effects of the vaccine, well, you know, if you're forced to get the vaccine and you end up getting sick or you have problems because of it, um, very soon in Oklahoma, as soon as this bill is signed, you'll be able to sue. But if you were also following the vaccine mandates, the uh, debate between uh, the National Guard in Oklahoma and uh, John Kirby uh, and the DOJ, uh, the Pentagon was mandating the National Guard units in all the states to be vaccinated. And Oklahoma says, uh, no, uh, the National Guard is under the senior general appointed by the state. It is a state-run guard unit. It is not a federal guard unit. You do not have the authority over our state units. So we're saying no vaccine. No vaccine mandate. And the Pentagon is trying to insert its power over over the state, taking away a state right, a state legal right, where the federal government has no right to be in. If this is our guest inside the studio, please press one because it's a different phone number than what we were expecting. And that way I know it is you. And hopefully that the person will press one and we will know it's our guest. And yes, he did. Okay, here we go. And Curtis and trying to bring my co-host back on. So I want to welcome to the show. He's with we Can Be Heroes Foundation, John Stinton. Good afternoon, John. How are you today? I'm doing very well. How are you this afternoon? And thanks for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. And I apologize for your problems with getting into the show, but the line you were on had so much noise and static on it. Wow, that was bad. Anyway, we've had Beth Keith on. And uh, please you know, express to her my condolences in the loss of her husband recently. Uh, I lost mine just a little over four months ago, uh, actually four months and 19 days. So um, I'm there with her. So tell her I send my deepest sympathies to her, please. But uh, she and her husband started. Oh, thank you. She and her husband started this organization, We Can Be Heroes Foundation. Tell us what that is about and what you guys do. Sure. Uh, The We Can Be Heroes Foundation. Uh, was formed to recognize people, the heroes that walk among us every day. Um, when people think of heroes, a lot of times they think of the, 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 the ones that we see on TV, the, the, the military heroes, which are true heroes as well. But, but we also have first responders and, and, and just your neighbors a lot of times that, that perform heroic acts, you know, put themselves at risk to, to serve their fellow man, their fellow neighbors, uh, and, and do something to help someone like that. Uh, it could be the guy that uh, pulls someone out of a wrecked car, the guy that pulls, or I say guy, guy, girl, uh, the person that may, maybe, uh, you know, runs in to save someone from an attacker. Um, so we just want to recognize those people, and we want, we want everyone to have an avenue to be able to do that. Well, that's fantastic. But how do you find out about these heroes? Do you have, like... How, how do people get a hold of you or even learn about you uh, to find out, you know, or submit someone's name? Sure. So uh, 
first and foremost, uh, people can find out a lot about us by our webpage, WeCanBeHeroesFoundation.org. Uh, on the website, there is an op, uh, a place where you can submit someone for recognition. Uh, you, you nominate a hero. That nomination goes to Beth and, and the founders and the board of directors. They review the, the submission. Uh, once it's approved, a lot of things happen. That, that, that nomination ends up on the website. We deliver a yard sign that uh, we put in people's front yard that says a, a hero lives here. Um, and and that's, that's the easiest way to get someone uh, to be recognized uh, from, from our organization. Well, once you have someone that is now nominated as a hero and they, they get the yard sign, um, do you bring them around to various groups to show what an average ordinary person can do? We, I have not been, I have not experienced that. We, we, we put their information out on the webpage. We have an event coming up in March of 2022. It's a, it's a hero's banquet where we're going to, we're going to recognize uh, heroes. You can, you can come to the banquet, buy a ticket, have dinner, sit down and, and talk to some of these everyday uh, American heroes that have been recognized and also uh, some of those veterans, some of the World War II, some of the Korean War vet, Vietnamese War vets that have uh, also are heroes will be in attendance. And it's a great place to meet those people, tell them thank you for their service, what they've done to, to be recognized as a hero, um, and, and, and hear their stories. Yeah, well, on March 22nd, it's on your website. If they go to – and there's a link on the show page. They can click on it. We can be heroes um, – oh, good Lord. I forgot what the website – oh. <laughs> oh, we can be heroesfoundation.org because I, I put Correct. the link in there. I just didn't put the whole <laughs> the website. And they can click on events and go and see about this gala for the unsung heroes so if they're in the area and they want to attend, they can go on there and get tickets. Um, there's so many other things that you know We Can Be Heroes does besides just nominating heroes. Um, sure. You also have a great veterans resource, uh, resources for veterans. Uh, tell us about what you have out there to help veterans and how many different ways you do help them. Uh, absolutely. So uh, great. That, that's a very good question. So first and foremost, we – we will we promote uh, veterans' uh, businesses. If it's a veteran-owned veteran uh, business, we, we promote that. You know, we, we'll put put it on the website. We we also try to connect uh, businesses that have been part of the We Can Be Heroes Foundation. We try to connect them up with veterans that are looking for for work, uh, and, and just 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 trying that. There's one more way that we think that we're honoring heroes, these veterans. Uh, by, by, by trying to help them out, uh, sometimes it's reassimilating into uh, public life from out of the military. Sometimes it's, you know, j- just uh, uh, finding people that, that are looking for vets because vets make great employees. They've been well-trained. They, they've provided, you know, years of service to the country, and, and they've got all these skills that employers need. So we try to connect them up like that. Uh, those would be the two primary ways that you that we I would say we were helping veterans. Well, you also have connections on there to something called the Fire Watch. 
correct. Uh, and what is so, that? So people people can actually volunteer to help with, with this. Correct. So so Firewatch is a is a is a group that uh, focuses on veterans at risk, right? They, they, they come back, they've, they've got struggles from, from what they've seen overseas in the service and, you know, um, doing what they do best. And, and they come back and they have all these struggles. So Firewatch is an organization that, that uh, I'm not going to say that they intervene, but they try to provide the resources and the tools that vets need to uh, pull themselves out of that at-risk pool. Um, so we, we, uh, we, we work with uh, the Firewatch group to, um, uh, uh, you know, help identify vets, to, to help vets understand that Firewatch is out there and, 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 and make that connection as well because that is a critical connection for a lot of your military service people that are coming back from overseas duty. That is, and, you know, we have now, it's, I believe it's down, fortunately, from 21, down 17 veterans a day, military and veterans, commit suicide. So it's very, very Correct. important. And that's one of the things you also have under the veterans' resources. If they do that, they can uh, contact the Veterans Crisis Line. And I'm going to right. add the phone number onto the show page so those that are listening the Veterans Crisis Line, write this down, push it out on your social media network to get this out there. Crisis Line, it's veteranscrisisline.net, or they can dial 1-800-273-8255 and tell them to press 1. The Crisis Line connects them with caring, qualified responders from the Department of Veterans Affairs. Many of them are veterans themselves. Or they can text over to 838-255. And on the veteranscrisisline.net, uh, there's also a chat room they can enter into. If they don't feel comfortable talking on the phone, um, they can also do that. There's so many uh, resources that you do offer veterans, and one of them is assistance with housing. Uh, where did I have that one? Here. Of course, now I've got papers all over the place. Um, through the Clara White Mission, uh, where they can help at-risk homeless veterans. Uh, so you do do a lot of work looking out to help veterans. Sure. I, I would tell you that our, our founder, Beth Heath, that, that, uh, that's her passion. That, that's, that's what uh, her, her, I would say, almost life's mission has been, is to help veterans and help them uh, deal with all the different challenges that they, they face on a day-to-day, week-by-week, year-by-year basis. Uh, the, the Mission House is, is just one of those options that uh, uh, we promote to help a veteran so that they're not struggling. Yeah, and the number of homeless on the street are mostly now growing to be veterans, and a lot of them Correct. women veterans. Women mm-hmm. veterans are exploding in a phenomenal number. You know, we've never had a situation like this where we had women as involved in combat as ever before. And they are being placed in situations which, you know, our society has not trained them for, but yet they are placed themselves there. So besides all the other great organizations out there, uh, such as the Independence Fund or Wounded Warrior, your organization also helps link them to all the things they need. 
because, you know, they may be suffering from PTSD, traumatic drain, brain injury, uh, alcoholism, drug abuse, all these things because of what they witnessed in the war zones. So, mm-hmm. you know, giving them a hand up is so important. And then helping them to and find that, work to get them back on their feet is wonderful. Yep. I, I can also tell you, I, I would be remiss if I didn't tell you about Canines for Warriors, which is one of our uh, big supporters, uh, which, which is another veterans organization that, that actually the people that uh, created Canines for Warriors are, are, are the uh, creators of this Firewatch. But, but basically, that's what it is. It's, it's you know, uh, veterans that come back that, that are, are, are dealing with whatever, uh, they connect them up, they, 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 they go through, uh, these dogs go to, to training to, to help to be placed in a home with a veteran, to become part of that vet's family. And, and you know, it's amazing what a pet, a dog, can do to help a veteran deal with some of the things that they've experienced. Um, and so I, I don't want to uh, forget about uh, the canines or warriors group as well because they're a huge resource for veterans when when they need some kind of support you know you you would think well wait a minute you know this guy just went through this whole thing he came back with ptsd he's now getting divorced because his wife can't deal with him and he can't deal with the whole right. situation he's 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 not with his buddies he doesn't have his battle buddies by him to give him support but how is a dog going to help but a dog can be empathetic but it also means that veteran has something that is dependent upon him that needs mm-hmm. him and yet the dog can give him unconditional love and empathy and know if he's going or she is going through a certain situation animals can sense mood swings they can also sense change in your body if it's a medical problem whether it's diabetes sure. or any other situations these animals can be at times lifesavers sure and, and it's, you know, uh, you, you made the statement about uh, uh, giving a vet some, uh, something that depends upon him or her and that he or she is responsible for. If you, that you can correlate that to things that, um, uh, you know, um, people that have gone through alcoholism or drug abuse, one of the things that they try to get those people to do is once they get better, is to turn and help others, and that helping others is one of the biggest, um, uh, I don't want to say cures, but it's one of the biggest things that you can do to help someone who's been through something like that. So for a vet to now turn and say, okay, I've got this dog, uh, this pet that loves me unconditionally, and I've got, I've got someone, that pet, the, the dog has someone, uh, it's a huge, huge boost to a vet who's been through something traumatic. Well, also, there's been studies that if a person is generous and gives, there's a change, the change in the mind chemistry, and there is more happiness, more, mm-hmm. more stability in the individual, um, the more at ease, uh, and the very act of giving can change a, a person's personality. Sure, sure. Um, it's why the vets are so quick to give back to other vets, right? They know what they've been through. They, they, they also, the, the benefit, it's not, that's not why they do it, but, but, but there's, a, there's this intangible benefit to a vet who's giving and helping that I think you just can't measure. 
um, the, the, the difference that that might make in their, their lives and their day-to-day routines. Well, you know, um, one of the other things that you do at We Can Be Heroes is education. You know, you guys mm-hmm. offer your own courses, but you've also hooked up with Hillsdale College. And i got to tell you Correct. something funny because um, I wasn't aware, but a very dear friend of mine, um, I didn't realize that her brother-in-law is the one that et- is the editor of Imprimus. And I've been getting this Imprimus for years, never knowing that it was her <laughs> brother-in-law that was putting it together. Right. And it's like, all right, well, now i got a hook to get him on the show. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Hey, Rumi, I'm talking about you. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, you do these education courses, but it's so important because when you're looking at the number of school districts and states that are still pushing CRT, the critical race theory, uh, you're finding pornography in kindergarten classes. And, And parents now, because of the pandemic, are learning what our school districts are doing to our kids. And you're offering a way in which to push back. Exactly. I will tell you uh, for a great example of that is uh, Constitution class. So the, the Constitution class is taught by uh, one, of the, one of the most knowledgeable people on the Constitution. And, and what's so neat about the Constitution class is we teach people not only what the Constitution says, but we also teach people what it doesn't say. Um, and, and every time someone goes through that, I have no doubt that they're learning something new about the Constitution that, that perhaps they did not know. It's not that large of a document, but there's a lot in there. The guys that sat down and created our founding documents were just brilliant when it came to uh, what they were creating. The Constitution is, is an example. We have outreaches to people. We, we provide documentation uh, pamphlets and brochures and things to, to groups and, and, and others in the education session that, that people can take home with them so they have something to, to, to either pass on, something to refer back to, um, but uh, education about what our country really means and what, what it stands for. Um, the, the education system for, for a long time has been left to one side of the political spectrum, and it's unfortunate because now that, that, that political spectrum kind of permeates it. And it's unfortunate because you, you need both sides. You need, it's, you, you need to hear both sides of the coin. Uh, that's, how you, that's how you develop your own opinions, thoughts, and ideas. If you only hear one thing, that's never a good thing. So, uh, and, and, and again, uh, Beth's brainchild, I mean, that, that is one huge component uh, of the We Can Be Heroes Foundation, and, and it's one that the foundation is committed to. Now, do you actually go into schools, or do you turn around and post the fact that you have these classes and invite people to come in? Um, I have I have not been into a school to, to talk about the, the class. We generally, uh, the class is held outside. It's in a, it's in a private, uh, I shouldn't say private, it's in, it's in a setting, it's not within a school. We, we, we host them. People can see the, the next time one of these classes is going to be hosted, sign up for it. Uh, uh, it takes about a, uh, it's about a six-hour course uh, that you come and you sit down and listen to the experts. And we have some great people that do this, uh, um, uh, that, that teach the class. We also have some true heroes 
of our own that show up for the class. So uh, we, we have a gentleman who was the air boss on the USS Enterprise who comes and, and yeah, unfortunately you drew the short straw today. I'm, I'm doing this, but uh, Captain Raman Schulf, who was the air boss on the Enterprise, a true hero of his own, right? Teaching people, teaching sailors how to man a ship, how to recover aircraft, how to launch aircraft, what the pilots are doing. Uh, you know, obviously, and no doubt, he has uh, affected and, and saved lives in his time. But you get to hear from people like that about not only what the Constitution says, but what it means to people like like Captain Schulf. It's it's an incredible event if you ever have an opportunity to attend. Well, when when you see him, give him my regards because he's been on the show many times. I saw his name, and I says I've got to get him on the list <laughs> to come back on the show. <laughs> yes, so Ryman has been on here. Uh, Quite a few times. Yeah, a great gentleman. Just a just a tremendous person. Uh, uh, to uh, I'm I'm always in awe. I get to sit and have breakfast or lunch with him sometimes, and and just hear his stories and and his experiences. It's it's it that that epitomizes what the We Can Be Heroes Foundation is all about. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, um, how is it that you became involved with them? Interesting story. So uh, I'll be as brief as possible because it's it's not really pertinent to We Can Be Heroes necessarily. I met Beth Heath uh, campaigning for office. Beth Heath was uh, the chair of the Tea Party in Duval County and, and interviewed me um, uh, during my campaign. Um, we connect. Uh, I, uh, Beth and I, after that point in time, have crossed paths several times to, to the point um, I, I got to the point where if Beth called and needed some help, I was trying to be there to help her. I have that much respect for her, for the things that she's done, for the things that she's trying to do. Um, and so she asked uh, me about a year ago, would I come and help them uh, with the We Can Be Heroes Foundation? And I agreed to do everything I could to help her. Well, what is it that I'm not asking you that you want our listeners to know about with We Can Be Heroes? I'm sorry, I didn't understand the question. I said, well, what is it that I have not asked you that you want to tell us about We Can Be Heroes? Oh, okay, great question. Um, First and (laughs) foremost, I will tell you that everybody that um, uh, is affiliated with the We Can Be Heroes Foundation as a volunteer, nobody gets paid. Um, we're, We're a true nonprofit. We're a nonprofit for other nonprofits where... Uh, some organizations may be trying to do certain things uh, within their group, within their ranks. They have heroes, and, and we're, we're the perfect place for other nonprofit organizations to uh, to nominate some of the people that work for them and, and work in their organization, work in their nonprofits. It's a perfect place for you to to, to try to nominate them and for us to recognize them, right? Because um, there, there are a lot of people, heroes in the police department, heroes in the fire department, heroes in uh, Make-A-Wish Foundation. You, you could go down the list. You could pick, you know, a thousand different places. So so that's the second thing I would tell you is, is uh, you don't there, – there are a thousand different ways you can be a hero, and We Can Be Heroes Foundation can recognize them all. Um, after that, uh, I would tell you, like any nonprofit, uh, um, it, it's tough for the We Can Be Heroes Foundations uh, because of how we operate, uh, you know, things cost us money. And there's always an opportunity 
to to provide some financial support to to the We Can Be Heroes Foundation, to the, the brochures that we print, the classes that we put on, the connections that we make between uh, service members and employers who are looking for service members to hire. Uh, all, all that costs us money. Website maintenance, you know, and the only way we really have to raise money is through donations, and we have an online store where. Um, Beth and her group will sell just about anything that they can uh, and make it a much easier uh, transition than eBay or Amazon. So um, those are very small things, but I think they're important things. I think that the primary one is, is that nobody at We Can Be Heroes draws a, draws a salary of any kind. So if you give money to the We Can Be Heroes Foundation, you can count on it going to a hero. Wonderful. You know what I like is the fact that you work with all these different other uh organizations and there's no friction a lot of times you have them as if they're competing or someone's ego gets in the way the fact that you can interact between all these various groups and all the various platforms is absolutely phenomenal and i always tell my group leave your ego at the door we're willing to work with any other group of like-minded people for the same goal and we need more of that we need a lot more of that in our society well john Thank you for the hard work you do, and please give our regards to Beth and our love, and tell her we wish her a blessed Thanksgiving, and the same to you. Same to you as well. Thank you for having us. Thank you for your support, and I will certainly pass on your kindness to uh, Miss Heath. Thank you so much. Have a great week, and God bless. God bless. Bye-bye. All right. Now, Curtis just went offline to go bring our next guest in, and I know who it is. So, Curtis, say hi and bring her back on. Our next guest is running against Nancy Mace here in South Carolina. And uh, we're going to have a lot of fun with her because she and I sat on the phone and talked for about, I don't know, half an hour or more the other day. And woman can talk. But, Curtis, yes, we got her. So let's get her. Let me get Curtis to come back in. (laughs) Oh, man. If anything can go wrong today, it's everything here so let's let's curtis i got her i got her i got her curtis i've got her good afternoon lynn how are you today i'm doing well thank you how are you all right we've got running one of the people running in the primary against uh congresswoman nancy mace lynn piper loomis here in south carolina district one yeah i was talking to another guest earlier and i said you know We've got to stop trying to reach across the aisle. We've got to start making the Democrats reach across the aisle to us. It's going the wrong way. And uh, that's one of the reasons why you're going to run against Nancy Mace, isn't it? Yes, I'm running as a constitutional Christian conservative because uh, Nancy Mace has failed to represent the values of the people of South Carolina. And... um, Boy, you, you, you just blew me away just right there. And then your website is your first name, L-Y-N-Z with S-C for South Carolina dot com. People can go there and 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 learn more about you. Um, I'm looking at my notes I scribbled last night. And they're like in the margin. Uh, um, the, now, the website is Lindsay, L-Y-N-Z-S-C dot com. Yeah, that's what I said. I, didn't I? Did I say it backwards? My dyslexia pops. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's all right. I just wanted to make sure. It's all good. You know, 
we we've been um, here in South Carolina, one of the twenty seven Republican states, and um, I, I've constantly getting a hold of my elected officials, so they actually do know who I am. And of course, being Tea Party doesn't doesn't hurt at all. But they just passed in the House that Build Back. They call it better. I call it Build Back Bitter Bill in the in the House, and you know we're seeing. Um, we're not getting a lot of pushback from our side to stop bills like this from going through. What is wrong with the Republican Party? What is going on here? Well, they've decided to be a part of a uh, more uh, a regime that represents uh, communism, socialism, and Marxism, and uh, it doesn't represent our American values, our Constitution, what this nation was founded on. It's actually a huge misrepresentation of our nation. You know, there are, we are being under attack for so many things. And I had a, a guest on just a little bit while ago. We were talking about this standards infrastructure plan that's going to add an additional $367 billion to our national debt. We are leaving just not ourselves in financial ruin, but our children, our grandchildren. How, how would you go about undoing all this? Well, number one, I would uh, take the entire thing and go back to the base it all back. And, and I mean, if I was listening to one of my constituents the other day, we were in a, in a um, discussion after she had shared something, and she said you'd have to go back before Jesus was born and ha- you would have to spend at least $1 million a day in order to um, to make up for the, this um, crisis that we're in. And so, I mean, we have to go back. I don't, I don't think that we should be funding transgender studies uh, in Pakistan. I don't think that our, we should be pulling our oil resources from overseas. We have all of those resources available here in America. Uh, the, this administration has shut down jobs and has um, basically crashed our economy. So my, my question to these rhinos and to these, uh, Democrats, I really refer to them as a uniparty because that's what they are. They don't represent America. What's in it for them to to sell us out to a satanic agenda? Well, you know, I was, I was reading about your background, and you say on your webpage, the first thing is, I am not a professional politician, loyal, bureaucrat, paid consultant, or lobbyist, that you're just an American who cares. So, what are your qualifications then to run for this seat? So I have been advocating for veterans, military, wounded warriors, other wounded warriors, and children of wounded warriors and caregivers for 16 years uh, because of our own personal story. I'm an international stateswoman. I'm a small business owner, and I'm not a politician. I am an everyday American and that's what we need in Washington, D.C. Just like George Washington, President George Washington, one of my most favorite presidents, he went and served and he came back home. And that's what, that was one of the first pledges uh, that I, I signed was the U.S. term limits. I believe in term limits. A lot of people don't. And I think in that capacity, we need to be able to empower others and, and work with them and help educate and have internship programs that would, you know, bring other people into leadership as well. It's all about service, always. And that's not what we have in uh, the swamp right now. 
No, it's not. It's not. You talk about pillars of leadership. What are your pillars for leadership? Well, for too long, the government has rested on the shoulders of pride, the desire for power and greed. So the first one is humility. If we don't have humility, we don't have we don't have effective leadership in this nation. We have to be able to lay everything down. That's what our founding fathers did. They believed in laying everything down, their lives, their fortune, everything. And if you look at how their lives ended, they gave up, they, they never, they gave up everything. The second one, and only through humility, can you enter into the purest form of integrity? That's where that transactional place of integrity is really pure. From there is a sacred culture of honor. Honor comes only from and through humility and integrity, civility, treating others the way that you want to be treated, and last service. And I believe that Jesus quoted the greatest leadership statement of all time in John 14, verse 12, when he said, greater things than me will you do. And that's what I was talking about with the term limits. We not only have to, as leaders, be servants first and always, but we also have to empower others to be greater than ourselves. And that's why our campaign to save America is effective. And we have hundreds of volunteers across deployed into action because we are, I believe, and we believe that we are all created equal and our unable rights are endowed to us by the creator, which is irrevocable. So we are all working together as a team. There's no one that's above one another. We're all equal. See, that sounds like what I just said to my last guest. You leave your ego at the door and we all work for a common goal. We need a lot more of that around here. And I'm sorry, we've got to stop, you know, pandering to the left where we're not getting conservative values out there. We're losing our morality. We're losing our religion. We're losing our families because we have allowed them to remove these things from our life. But that's some of the things that you want to see coming back. Well, hello. Yeah, so that's why... (laughs) Yeah, that's Jack in the background. So that's why, um, first and foremost, you know, I'm running because of um, running for personal sovereignty, parental rights. I've been um, fighting against all the mandates since last year, long before I ever actually announced my run. Uh, combating CRT, I've been the only candidate and government official. I mean, I, there was other government officials that started coming in later in the game, but um, showing up to these school board meetings, city council meetings, county council and then securing our borders and fixing our broken election system. I believe in individual freedoms and liberties, um, as, you know, the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence um, clearly states. Oh, boy. County Council sees me going, and it's like, oh, boy, we're in for trouble. It's even now the school board where I scolded them because a couple of them started snickering when I said who I was. And at that point, I blew my stack. It's like, you snicker at one of us? You snicker at all of us. I don't care what side of the aisle you sit on. You give that speaker respect. They're the taxpayer. They're the parent. They're the citizen that put you in the seat. We put you in those seats. We'll take you out. And we'll go for you first snickering. For those who didn't, didn't turn around and reprimand them for snickering, you're next. For those who did reprimand them, thank you. Thank you for a job well done. And, oh, no, we, we've got to let them know they work for us. And that's a problem we have with our officials. They think they w- we work for them. That's right. And that's something we found at several of the school board meetings that I attended. It would get to the point where they'd say, oh, dear Jesus, when I would show up. It came up on one of the, mm-hmm. on one of the, um, on one of the 
recordings. But I mean, we've got to, we, I mean, that's what it boils down to exactly what you're saying. Yeah. You've got to make it so that if you call your representative, whether it's your councilman, your school board member, the dog catcher, your local state representative, congressman, uh, senator, or your federal one, they, they should know you. You should be able to pick up the phone and they should know you and your name. But this is what we need more of, more of the citizen making, the citizen government, not a government over the citizen. One of the other things you, you, you write about, your positions that people can find issues on your website, is election integrity. Uh, and that is something that we're fighting for here in South Carolina. Um, we've got several bills up in, in the state. And now the federal government wants to interfere with what the state's right was given in the Constitution. The federal government should not be telling the states how to handle their elections, should they? Correct. You are absolutely correct. And but then you know, how do, how, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say, how do we bring integrity then, allowing the states to take care of their elections, but also help them preserve the integrity? Well, honestly, there's a number of things. The things that we are working on in this campaign, uh, I want no machines. I want uh, election day instead of election season, paper ballots. I'd like to see hand counts. And uh, I think some of those measures coming into play will bring integrity back into our election process in the state. All right. Um, Another thing that uh, we've been talking about we have these vaccine mandates that are now being fought. It's no longer my body, my choice. But, but if you are pro-choice, it is your body, your choice. The hypocrisy we see here is, is amazing, yet you want to see a defense of life bill. So, I mean, I think that that phrase is being really twisted. Uh, I am pro-life. I just want to establish I'm pro-life. I believe life begins at conception. Absolutely no exceptions. Uh, Secondly, it is not the government's job to co-parent with my children or anyone else's children and to dictate um, a medical device or something that is still in the experimental phases. It is unlike my opponent, who has actually been listed as the vaccine influencer for the state of South Carolina by DHEC, and um, she's also a mask influencer. And where we're at right now, those, those components, that, that's personal sovereignty, plain and simple. If someone wants to wear a mask, be my guest, but personally, I know the mask is not effective. No, it's not, and there's been numerous studies on that one. And uh, I'm sorry, I had someone in the chat room that was rather distracting. They are no longer there. <laughs> um, we, we're seeing a lot of attacks on the military and the veterans for, by our federal government. Certain mandates must be matched, like, for example, with the vaccination. Now they're going after them because of their political beliefs. Uh, we've seen this time and time again. One Marine was almost brought up on charges uh, because he spoke out asking for uh, accountability with the withdrawal from Afghanistan. Another one, it was brought to a Trump rally, and his mother got, ended up making him go on stage and speak, and they started to go after him. Because you have a certain belief, be it political or religious, 
uh, all of a sudden, you're not going to be a good military marine, soldier, sailor. Something's wrong with you. And if you're a veteran, you may have your benefits threatened. What is going on here? Well, let's talk about this type of administration and just, you know, just how criminal they are. You know, they want to allow someone transgender to go and have a surgery and be able to have a year off. But meanwhile, a combat veteran like my husband, who undergoes emergency brain surgery, was in a wheelchair for um, for a time. And they, you know, during Obama's initiative, wanted to separate him without any benefits near 16 years of service and uh, strip him of a rank that he was about to sew on. During Obama's initiative and this administration, they are trying to punish our military instead of actually um, saying thank you for putting your life on the line. So I believe personally that personal sovereignty should exist for these uh, men and women, and I don't it's, – it's, it's criminal what's happening, and we need to put an end to it. We need, my whole phrase with all of this is do not comply. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, do not comply, and then they get penalized. But this is what we have to fight against. We have to, whether it's through law, lawsuits or legislation, to strip our government of their ability to hurt these men and women that volunteer to defend our nation and protect our rights. And it, it really annoys the, the ever level when I see something like that. Because we've got more and more veterans ending up homeless on the street than ever before. We've got still a high number of suicides per day. And what is our federal government doing about it? Nothing. So instead they'll bring in illegal aliens but do nothing about our homeless military men and women or even American citizens on the streets. It's, 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 as a friend of mine says, it's bass backwards. And we've got to get that to stop. I mean, how do we stop this illegal immigration? Well, I'm currently working with uh, people privately. I, I spent several days at the border uh, meeting with different sheriffs, different agencies, uh, with women fighting for America, Christy Hutcherson. She actually, uh, Fox News, just went with her down to the border. And we're working on solutions right now. We've been working on these since earlier this year. She is uh, spearheading this. And so... Um, that's one of the areas that we're heavily involved with in this campaign. Um, and I think, you know, people can go and check out what she's doing, but she's a good friend of mine as well as an endorser. And we are combating this from a private level because our government is failing to do what they're, um, what they need to be doing in securing our borders. Yeah, and then you have uh, Governor Greg Abbott who says, well, if you're not, the federal government's not going to do their job. I'm going to do it. And he brings in whatever he needs to start securing the border, and then he gets attacked by the federal government. It, it makes absolutely no sense. But what our government is also ignoring is, is the amount of fentanyl coming across the border. So what do we do? We legalize marijuana, and, oh, well, you know, you don't think that having a couple of puffs of marijuana, also, let's try some fentanyl. It might be cheaper because pot is so expensive. We've got fentanyl coming over. We've got marijuana coming over. We have human smuggling. I mean, that's a slave trade. So wait a minute. Everyone that I comes thought... through the border is is pretty much sold into slavery. They are they are they are tracked for the children are tracked for multiple uh, purposes. And I, I mean, what what happens is that as they're coming through. 
they are they are have a certain identifier that is is placed on them the children the women and the men and according to how they're going to be trafficked there's multiple areas there and i'm not going to go too deep into that today but what ends up happening is they show up to a processing unit they take a picture of them that now becomes their id on an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper as long as that person has the name and the number and an address the address pulls up through the United States Postal Service. The person on the other end of the phone answers to that name. They get sent out via airplane or by um, bus, and that's by the thousands, and they're not even being reported accurately. And then they're still they're renting from someone, a cartel lord at that house, and then they're um, employed into uh, an area where they have to wherever they're working, they're paying off their wages, so they're still sold into slavery. Not only that, um, but we have agencies like Catholic Charities, Methodist Charities, and Lutheran Charities that are aiding and abetting in this process. They're doing humanitarian drops. I went to a place called Aravaca down in Arizona where they actually give the terrorists that come through, uh, these illegal immigrants, uh, food and water to get across. The women are, are given a morning after pill because part of their down payment as they come across, they're raped. And after they're raped, if they fight the rape, they're killed. If they don't fight the rape, their undergarments are hung on a tree. It's called a rape tree as a trophy. The children are drugged with Dramamine and the babies, they're raped and their undergarments are hung on a tree. That footage is on my YouTube channel. The gates are wide open going from Mexico into America down in Arizona where I was at. I mean, and... South, every state is a border state. And what's happening in South Carolina, we're ranked one of the top in the nation with trafficking. And people think, oh, well, this doesn't affect us here. But our gang activity has increased. I've spoken with local agencies off record, and I'm finding out about what's going on. There's murders. There's rapes. There's all kinds of things. And the drugs, don't even get me started on that. So it's a massive problem, and the Uniparty isn't doing anything about it. And I'm, I'm wondering what's in it for them. Wow. Wow. And mainstream media is not talking about this at all. And I guarantee no, my show from last Friday was taken off of YouTube and I was given that warning. You do it one more time. You're going to be putting Gitmo on YouTube. So I'm sure by the time they start listening to this one, I'm going to be back in Gitmo on Facebook. But we get the word out anyway. I, I don't care. You know, it, we do everything and anything possible to break our own laws and then make excuses for it, and then the taxpayer ends up paying for it, and the average citizen gets caught in the crossfire. And this is what they're doing to us. You know, um, mm-hmm. they have this massive infrastructure bill that the House just passed that expands Obamacare, or as I call it, Obozocare, and no one's paying attention. But why not? Why not? Because they they are seeking a desire for um, power and for fame and for money, they're in it for themselves instead of for our constitution and the nation of the, and our nation and the, and the future generations of this nation. They're more concerned about themselves than they are about the people. Well, we were talking about simple. the school boards. We were talking about the school mm-hmm. boards a little bit earlier, but we also have this push for rewriting our history with the critical race theory, uh, and then they found creative ways in which to rename it 
and call it something like equity justice or something else. They find creative ways just to repackage it and put it back out there again. Um, They're trying to tell us that we are not responsible for what our children learn, that they know better than we do. That's, that's, wait a minute, when did the parents ever give up their right to decide what their children are exposed to? Exactly. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. What we have to re, what we have to come back to is that we're one race, we're one human race. And that's in, when we step into that position, there's no division period. And so my answer to you is that parents need to continue to get involved as they're doing. Uh, for example, we have a list of books that we can go and, and survey right now. And we have the opportunity to do that. I've had teachers anonymously sending me the curriculum uh, for the social, emotional learning, equity, you know, justice, all these things. And so we, we confront them head on publicly and let them know that we, we know what they're doing. And we call out the books that have the garbage in them. You know, a lot of people like me don't have children. I wasn't blessed that way. But I still do go to the school board meetings. Because what happens, what that school turns out, that child becomes then a member of my community. And the quality of that child's education and what that child was taught affects how my community grows or is destroyed. So, you know, every single person that lives in that community should also hold that school board responsible, shouldn't they? Absolutely. And I I think, you know, this is where it comes back to the state leadership that if this type of situation is happening as it is, there should be a suspension of these positions. There should be a serious look at what's going on. You know, we're holding them accountable. We have parents showing up to these school board meetings in the district and we, we need more people in the community to come out, even if they don't have kids in the school district, but we need our state leadership. I know the governor has suspended uh, school board members before and we need more involvement from our GOP and making statements, not just when my opponent wants to legalize marijuana, but when we have, we have this situation. I don't know if you've ever heard of the book, The Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrate, but this is where state leaders and people in, inside of the city, county, state show up to these meetings, standing in the gap on behalf of uh, what's going on, and they push back against this and say, no, we'll not comply with this. It's happened all throughout history. I highly recommend that book, General Michael Flynn, uh, who actually I'm so proud and thankful to be endorsed by. That was a book that he recommended uh, to me to read, and it is one of the best books I've ever read in my lifetime. Oh, wow. Then I'm going to have to find out you know, about that book and read it myself. Um, with this if you don't fall in line with this critical race theory or with uh, exposing our children to pornography in schools and libraries, you become part of the cancel culture. And they go after you. They'll dox you. Uh, they'll cause you to lose your job. They'll harass you. And we've seen this constantly. This is allowed to happen. But if you were one of the ones that were peacefully within the halls of congress on january 6th you've been locked up in jail 
without your constitutional right to a speedy trial, uh, since the, for what going on now, ten months, we we allow that, but we don't go after the people that are actually causing real harm by looting cities, by harassing private citizens to the point where they lose their jobs, they end up with family problems, they're afraid to leave their homes because they're afraid of being physically attacked. How do we even this out? Well, first of all, we have to remember that we have to walk unafraid and boldly. We need strong leadership. Mace is not that leader. I am that leader. And we, you know, we need... Um, people that are not afraid of being doxxed, people that are not afraid of losing their job, people that are not afraid of those types of things, counting the cost and willing to say America's soul is worth saving. The future generations of this nation are worth saving. We're going to have to stop thinking about what people think and not caring about the fear of man, but actually caring more about the sanctity of our life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. There's a lot to be said for that one. You know, we are, I always say we are an exceptional nation, but we hear a lot of people go, what are you talking about? Someone just came into the chat room and go, oh, but you, you, you stole the slaves, you raped the women, uh, you did this, you did that, so no, we're not. I'm like, excuse me? Uh, really? Uh, we well, are an exceptional nation. I'm pretty nation. sure that you and I didn't steal those slaves. That wasn't us. We live in the most exceptional and the best nation in the world. There is a reason that people wave our flag even right now in this, in this place that we're in around the nation. There is a reason that they recite the Declaration of Independence. It is one of the best, if not the best document next to the Bible that has ever been written. We have to remember that we are in a place right now that it's not about politics. It's not about photo ops. It's about the cost and the involvement and the partnership with we, the people, who are all created equal, to step in and to save this nation together. And if anyone does not align with those values, then they need to step off. That they do. And, you know, there's also a constant attack on our Second Amendment rights. And, you know, at first they were trying to outlaw certain firearms without even knowing the difference between certain weapons called certain things, uh, assault weapons, when they were not. Uh, and then we saw that they went after the lead in bullets because the EPA said it's harming the environment. And they have been making one after another assault on our Second Amendment. What part of, you know, shall not be infringed in keeping and bearing arms do they fail to understand? I'm 100% Second Amendment uh, for the Second Amendment. My opponent signed the red flag gun legislation just weeks ago, restricting Second Amendment rights, targeting military and veterans. I would never have even entertained that idea. I proudly uh, carry. I have a conceal and carry, and I also am thankful to, you know, stock up on ammunition and, and go out and target practice, not for the looks, but because I am a proud supporter of the Second Amendment rights. Well, I got to admit, I was talking to uh, someone earlier today, uh, and I said he was saying something about, "Do you want to guess about the Second Amendment?" I said, "Oh, heck yeah! Just the other day, I got a new belt buckle for my gun belt that it was a Second Amendment gun belt buckle." So yes, 
Uh, I proudly support the Second Amendment. You just got a few moments left here. You've got a fundraiser coming up on this this coming Saturday, tomorrow. How's that going? It's going well. We still have some tickets left for anyone that wants to come in the Low Country. They can um, email friends of Lindsay L Y N Z at protonmail.com and inquire about tickets, and we'll get them set up. Veterans uh, can come with one uh, spouse or one plus one uh, complimentary. We'd love to have them. We do have limited seating, so if anyone is interested and they'd like to do that, we'd love to hear from them. And I noticed that you didn't have exactly where it was, just what town is it going to be in, so people know if they want to try to get there. Oh, absolutely. It's on Daniel Island here in the Low Country in Charleston. And Daniel Island's a beautiful little island. It's everything else around it, it is. looks like crap. <laughs> well, people can find you. Um, and there's a link on the show page. So what they do is click on your name, and it'll take you directly to your website. Even if they are not living here in District 1 or they're not even here in South Carolina, they can still help you with your campaign and help reclaim a conservative seat in the House, one that's not going to go leaning over the aisle, actually running over the aisle to the other side to pander to them, uh, because that will not go over too well with the rest of us. Yes, and I just want to remind everyone that we have that we have one opponent. We the people have one opponent, and that is Nancy Mace. There are going to be many more Ingrid come lately's, and I feel confident that the people of this district will see that I am the only bold and courageous leader that South Carolina one needs. Well, Lindsay, God bless you. And you're going to be coming to our Tea Party meeting in uh, February. So I look forward to seeing yes, you in ma'am. person. All right. I God bless and have a happy. Well. well, God bless and you have too. a blessed Thanksgiving. All right. Check out Thank Lindsay Piper well. Lomas. Uh, I'm sorry. I cut her off real soon. I apologize. Uh, her first name, L-Y-N-Z-S-C dot com. Go to her website, check her out, or click on her name on the show page. We've got our final victim here in the studio. want to welcome back the one, the only, the gorgeous, <laughs> Catherine Gorka. How are you doing today, Catherine? Hey, Annie. How can I not be good with an introduction like that? <laughs> you know, I... I my life has been so, so hectic the last few days, so I finally got early this morning reading all the uh, articles and everything that I, I got off of um, a Heritage Foundation, and uh, I, I have notes all over the place. And as I started to read one of these, I made a notation at the top of it after I got off the first two paragraphs, and I said, Moms for Liberty. And then later on, I turned the page, and there you have Moms for Liberty. And I said, dang, I knew she was good. But before we get to that, before we get to that, you do a podcast uh, with your husband, Sebastian Gorka. Uh, tell people where they can find you for that. Oh, I wish I could claim credit for that. I don't actually do a podcast. So he has um, a daily radio show on the Salem Network. So he is on uh, from 3 to 6 Eastern time every day. And then um, – if he's if he's in the mood, he'll let me come on the show from time to time. So that's about that's about that's about my only parents. And I do happen to have right now. It just went up today. I actually do have a podcast interview on the Heritage site called Heritage Explains, where I talk more about these same issues we're going to be discussing today. 
Oh, fantastic, fantastic. Because I saw him over on Newsmax, I think it was last night, he was talking about Freedom Square. So this morning I was going on there just poking around a little bit. It looks great. Uh, Anyway. Yeah, I think that looks like a really exciting new initiative. I think they've just launched in the last week or so, if I'm not mistaken. Well, if I'm lucky, maybe they'll take my podcast up there. (laughs) Cross my fingers. Great. (laughs) Anyway, anyway, um, you are the director of the Civil Society and American Dialogue. And I don't know why that keeps on going off. Shut up over there. Anyway, um, you were part of the Trump transition team. But you've got recently an article up there, The Great Parent Revolt. And, oh, my God, have I never been so proud of parents and the everyday Americans that are standing up to our school boards and our county councils or our other town city councils. Actually, the American voice is starting to be heard, and this is what you address uh, in the various people that have been stepping forward. Yeah, that's right. And I think it's just, I'm so encouraged. I really am. I mean, you know, of course, we have the the sort of validation of what we thought was going on with, you know, the Virginia elections. Um, But also what was less talked about, there was a wave of school board victories across the country. And thanks in no small part to groups like Moms for Liberty. They happen to be one of my favorites, um, and they, they've they just been so instrumental in helping parents who've never been involved in politics uh, get a, you know, join school boards. But parents are doing all kinds of things. You don't even have to be on a school board to, to be effective. So it's it's really exciting to see. It is. And i got to say that um, when I saw Moms for Liberty the very first time they were on Newsmax, and the two women that formed it, I'm going, oh, wow. But then when they said something really, really important, it's not just moms. It's dads. It's aunts. It's uncles. It's grandparents. It's your next-door neighbor. It's the guy down the block. You don't have to be a parent to be part of Moms for Liberty, and you don't have to be a parent because you pay the taxes going into the school board and the council. You have an equal right to speak as they do, don't they? Absolutely. And in some ways, you know, I think people who are not parents of young children are sometimes better positioned to fight these issues because, look, for one thing, a lot of parents are really afraid of putting a target on their kids' backs. So I think there are a lot of parents that would stand up to what's going on but are afraid to. Um, And the other thing is, you know, let's face it, being a parent is time-consuming. Who's got time when you've got a house full of young kids uh, to be a community organizer? Whereas those of us, like for me, for example, my kids are now out of the house. You know, I've got a lot more time on my hands than, than a parent with young children. So I think it's beholden on all of us to step up and do what we can for the education of our children. And there's an important reason why. You're spending your tax dollars on these kids to be educated, not indoctrinated. And they should be educated on the classical subjects, not being given things such as critical race theory or pornography in kindergarten. When these kids come out, if they are not classically trained, and they come out with all this brainwashing, what is your community going to look like? What is your future government going to look like? Yeah, it, it, it's so true. 
Um, and, and we're seeing it happen. I mean, I'm, you know, on the one hand, I'm encouraged because of the way parents are stepping up. Uh, but on the other hand, I'm a little bit discouraged because I see polling data on what young people believe, you know, about the United States, about free markets, about socialism. Um, it doesn't paint a pretty picture. And I think we have got to step up our engagement. And I think that means two things. One is we've got to get more engaged in the schools and pushing back on, as you say, the, you know, the indoctrination, which is going on in a big way. But I think the other thing is a lot of people need to step up the conversations that they're having at home. I'm, I don't know if you saw, but another one of my articles was um, Solving the Civics Crisis Begins at Home. And I really believe this. You know, this, our country is so special. We are a self-governing republic. That means that none of us can just sit back and trust that somebody is going to take care of it and make it run right. We all have a duty to engage, and that means parents have to educate their children on the duties and responsibilities of citizenship and also what this great country means and what we stand for. Because I'm telling you, I think if we don't step up and take that role, we're going to lose this country. Well, actually, I have that article in my hand because I was reading it. And you quote Mark Twain, which a lot of places have banned Mark Twain because of Huckleberry Finn. And you write that Mark Twain, that Mark Twain wrote citizenship is what makes a republic. Monarchies can get along without it. What keeps a republic on its leg is good citizenship. And yet in this article, you also talk about, and the picture on the front of the article is so cute, a dad with the daughter in the arm reading to her, uh, you write about, you know, the parents becoming involved in the civics that the children are learning. More, more ever, keeping that family cohesive, having a two-parent family to raise the child, but also bringing religion back into our lives. This is something that our society has been pushing apart. We've got more than ever before single-parent households, households without a father in it. And you talk about what happens when there isn't two parents to raise the child to the child? Yeah, I mean, I think it's something that we're all understanding better and better. You know, we love to throw millions of dollars at our schools, and now especially we're throwing millions of dollars for ridiculous things like critical race theory and, you know, social and emotional learning. Those things don't move the needle. Um, it's it's families, it's engaged parents, it's parents who take an active role in their children's lives. Um, that's what makes a difference in improving outcomes for children. So, you know, I'm I'm grateful because I think there are some great initiatives going on. Um, there's there's you know one of my favorites is um, a new initiative um, by a guy named Kendall Qualls called Take Charge. I love that one um, where he's trying to help rebuild the African-American family and, and helping African-American men uh, step up as fathers. There's another one called Communio that I really love that's been working with um, churches around the country. Their argument is, and th I find this so fascinating, what, what J.P. DeGantz at Communio found is that the decline in marriage that started with 1960 goes on a directly parallel line to the to the to uh, church attendance, right? So as the family declines, so does the church decline. And so his argument is the church needs to do a lot more to step up and support families. 
And the funny thing about that is I made a notation in one of your articles along the margin of it. Up here it is, the article that you wrote, Healing the Family and Saving the Country. Where did I put that? I put a, or is this the right one? Well, you were talking about the churches becoming more involved. And I made a notation to give it to my pastor and asking him, what are we doing? Because he has a huge youth program. But what are we doing about reaching out to single families, about at reaching out to people that are divorced or widowed so that they're not alone? And you write about this pandemic just brought up the fact that there are so many people that are alone. They have no one there, no family. Yeah, and, and, and the point you make is exactly the point. I mean, it's it's validated by the research that, that uh, J.P. DeGance did for his book um, where they found that they he estimates that churches in this country spend as much as four to six billion dollars a year on youth ministry, but a fraction of that on on marriage ministry and and support for marriages and it's both the outreach to like the singles, the single parents, the people who are really struggling, but he makes the argument that everybody every marriage can use some help and some support you know um and and you know we're to the point now where we know enough we know how to like make for healthier relationships and better support marriages so you know i i I really think he's right i love his argument that that churches need to step up and fulfill this role yeah because when the family is not cohesive if it's broken apart if the marriage is not sticking together, it's breaking apart. The things that lead to uh, abuse, because now they're going to take it out on the child, uh, alcoholism, drug addiction, uh, school dropout, uh, joblessness, uh, it goes all the way down the line. It snowballs. So that child coming out of that broken home thinks they don't have a chance to, to make it in the world because they're not taught good values and and good stability yeah and you know my parents got divorced when i was 10 and and that was in 1970 and it was at a time when um you know the culture was sort of saying oh it's it's more important that you pursue your individual happiness you know don't stay trapped in a bad marriage um, and, and, and there was also this argument like, oh, divorce isn't really that big a deal. You know, kids kids don't suffer as a result of divorce. I remember that was kind of the, the line for a long time. I knew in my heart that that wasn't true because I found the divorce just devastating. And, 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 and you know, it led to a whole series of behavioral problems. It took me years to really kind of get healthy and get back on my feet again you know and then finally maybe 30 years later the psychology caught up with it and said oh yeah i guess we realized divorce really does have a bad impact on the kids um but by then the damage was done i mean what we've done in this country to marriage i i just think it's so sad i think it's sad for for the couples that split up without working harder i think it's terribly sad for the kids and and the whole idea that that you know, I'm. I don't want to. I don't in any way want to disparage single parents, and I know there are many that do a great job, and God bless them for it. Um, but the idea of, of of people voluntarily choosing to have a kid as a single parent, um, it's a lot to take on. It's a lot to take on, and I think we really saw this during COVID. Um, you know, a, a, a lot of 
I had friends who were single parents who suddenly were no longer just the, the sole breadwinner, but they are suddenly now the sole babysitter, the sole educator, the sole everything. And, and I think it's been proven how hard it is to raise children alone. That That is true. That is so true. Um, it's also where you have a child, not a child, but a, a someone that's taking care of uh, uh, a disabled person in the home. All of a sudden, you don't have a partner to assist you with that. And when that happens, also that causes huge problems. But we also see a decline in attending church with an easy marriage breakup that was caused by altering our, our marriage laws. And they made it so easy now to get a divorce that, hey, listen, if you didn't like the color shirt she wore yesterday morning, uh, divorce her, get another one. And then the increase in lack of morality the increase of the spread of sexual transmitted diseases, of unmarried pregnancies. There is a whole thing that goes with that. Once you turn something a little bit too loose by allowing a divorce to occur too easily, instead of making that person try to work on the relationship, it opens up a basket of worms. Hundred percent. And I and I think the other thing is I I really think that we we significantly damaged ourselves and damaged our culture by separating from marriage. I mean, it, honestly, it, it wasn't just prudishness that led to, you know, a millennial, you know, just hundreds of years of practice where there was a pressure to keep sex inside the marriage. There were very, very practical reasons for that and when you when we separated that when we separated sex from marriage it just opens up such a can of worms and i'm i don't know why i wish we talked about this more i feel like it's not one of those things that's that's really an active conversation in the culture but i'm praying that it comes back i'm praying that that comes becomes a conversation in the culture again because honestly i think we're all going to be a lot better off if we sort of reimpose um, you know, to kind of a newer set of rules around sex. I mean, the bottom line is it leads to pregnancy, you know, and, and I don't know. I, it, it's, such a, it's such an intense topic. It's hard for me to go into that, but I, I really think that, that that whole problem around sex being separated from marriage is a huge mistake that we made in our culture. Well, my mom liked to use the phrase, why is he going to buy the cow when he gets the milk for free? You know, how are you going to, and, but it says volumes. How are you going to have the respect of another individual if you're just going to be there for a hookup? You know, how can you expect to have a lasting relationship when you're flitting from one bed to the next? And how do you have your own self-respect when, in a way, you're just opening yourself up for abuse or self-abuse? by allowing to, to think that this is actually morally okay. And I've had so many people tell me, well, I've never had a steady relationship. Uh, well, then have you been having multiple relationships that just lasted only like a week or two? Because you're, you go, you're entering it too early, too fast, too soon. You don't get to know each other first before you hop into bed. And that is a problem that we're facing. Yeah, no, I know. And it's like, and, and also it's like people don't learn how to do the hard work of relationships and, and 
you know, to go back to our earlier point, I don't think that we're getting a lot of support in the culture for relationships. So that's why I really hope the churches will step back up and engage in this. Uh, Curtis, Curtis are you okay? Yeah, go ahead. May I add something? Yeah, go ahead. Your microphone was making a lot of strange noises. Wow. But anyway, I would think that today's youth, they're getting their cues from, like, Hollywood as far as romance and sex. I mean, they watch all these reality shows, which um, really aren't built around core values, and um, but that's what they see. And who wouldn't want to, you know, live that glamorous life and find that Prince Charming like they do on The Bachelor or The Bachelorette? So I think we have to get away from that and put some reality you know, back into um, our educational system and, and at home, because if they're going to learn what they learn about life through television and the movies and on social media, they're in trouble. Oh, this is this is one of my absolutely biggest concerns about our country. It's the fact that I don't I don't know why, but conservatives turn their back on Hollywood and and just let the left completely take over Hollywood and our entertainment. And the stuff that comes out of Hollywood now is so heinous. It's unbelievable. Okay, I'll tell you what my real pet peeve is. And you see this in so many, I've seen this in so many TV shows, is the storyline where the woman says to the guy, oh, I'm only hooking up with you for the sex. I only want the sex. I'm sorry, that is just the biggest falsehood. And But that's what they're trying to propagate. They're like trying to break reality and, and create their own sense of reality, and it's so destructive. No, you know, uh, we're taught in the Bible that to treat your body with respect as if it's a temple because you are made in the image of God. And when you give your body to someone else, are you being as we were taught or are you just disrespecting yourself and God at the same time? Yeah. And not to mention the, the detail that you create another human life. And, and I'm a big believer that even those who claim to be pro-choice, um, I think even they are, are really deeply hurt and scarred when they have an abortion and when you kill a life inside yourself. And that's, I think, the other tragedy of separating sex from marriage is what's happened with abortion. Yeah, and, you know, now they have, especially in New York, and we fought this tooth and nail to try to prevent this law from going through, where you can use any excuse. If you think financially you can't handle this child, you can abort it. Now, you can go to any sort of a medical uh, provider, could even be your local pharmacist, and he could provide an abortion. But they've loosened the law, so up until the time of birth, you can still abort that child. If we can't respect life, then how do we expect to understand the preborn life? And if we are having a disposable society so busy involved in their smart devices and and games and stuff and are detached from reality, how are they going to understand the humanity of their fellow man, much less the life of that preborn child? We've created 
a civil, a uncivil society lacking in morality and lacking in understanding its fellow humanity. And I think that's the problem that you are fighting hard for. Yes. Yep. I I, I think you're right. And and you know I part of the, I think the part that makes me the saddest is that it's what you see is an older generation corrupting a younger generation. I mean, corrupting children. That's what makes me really sad. What we're doing right now, in particularly through the schools, the content that we're putting into schools on, on transgenderism, on LGBT, on all these, on the pornography. Oh my gosh, Annie, have you seen, did, did you happen to see the images that that mom found at the Fairfax High School a couple weeks ago? Oh, it, it disgusted me. I got about halfway through it and I couldn't watch. I couldn't look. Look at it. Just, and it was I so that was explicit. so shocking. I know. It's so like, explicit. Yeah. And and, oh, and we're this, putting that into into schools. We're putting that in front of our children. Who are these people? Who who are the librarians that approve this? Who are the superintendents? Who are the school board members? I just do not understand who are the people that think this is okay to put in front of our children. You know, it used to be the birds and bees were taught by mom and dad. And yeah. back back in the uh, late 60s, early 70s, they decided that, that we were going to have um, health education, they called it at first. And then over the years, it morphed from health education, teaching about uh, influenza or uh, various dis- different health issues that you growing up should learn about. And then it changed into sex ed. And now... It's telling the kids when they're in kindergarten that whatever gender you choose to be, you can be. Really? A a, a child at the age of four and five will determine whether or not they're male, female, or non-binary, or half of the dozen of the other 72 flavors in the universe they're going to come up with? Really? And a child's going to be mature enough to understand this? No. No. Absolutely not. I know. It just, it, I think it's just. I think it's cruel. I really do. It's just. I, I. I. find it heinous. And you know, the only. The only good thing coming out of this is the fact that parents are seeing it and they are not having it and they are standing up and they are fighting. And I think as a result, I think. I think our country is going to be really transformed and renewed because of the way. So many people are are getting reengaged in in the act in in the life of being a citizen of this country. Um, so I'm I, I think it's going to be good news in the long run. It's just I'm sorry that our children have somehow become the pawns in this culture war. Well, I'm going to tune into Newsmax later on today. See if I'm going to have your husband up there talking about the first female to hold the office of president in the United States because creepy Uncle Joe, the potty pants (laughs) president, had a colonoscopy today. I just want to hear him go off on that one. (laughs) (laughs) Catherine, it is always a pleasure to have you on there. There's so much more to talk about, uh, but we're out of time. We're down to our last three and a half minutes. And I want to tell my listeners that uh, next week we will have Antonio Branco on he is the creator of the Millard uh, Fillmore comic. I couldn't resist. I sent him an email, a message, and I asked him if he's going to have a stuffed Millard Fillmore I could put next to my Trumpy bear. 
I want the duck. <laughs> well, Catherine, people can find you at the Heritage Foundation. You're also all over there, uh, all over the place, putting out articles in all the different publications. I always look forward to reading your material and having you on the show. God bless you. Thanks so much, Annie. It's been great fun talking to you. All right, and have a happy Thanksgiving. Thank you. You too. All right. Catherine Gorka, check her out over on um, the Heritage Foundation and where all of her other articles get posted to. So that's all we got for today, Curtis. That's it. Went pretty fast. Oh, yes, it did. Yes, it did. I'm trying to get my, my little thing work here and pull up our closing song. And here we go with Gary Pecorella and Save America. So I say good night and God bless, and we will see you after Thanksgiving. The day after Thanksgiving, it will be a pre-recorded show, and we will be back the following on December 3rd. And we're already starting to line up. Like I said, uh, we got Antonio Bronco on our December 3rd show. So, Curtis, I'll be talking to you after Thanksgiving, and have a safe trip back home. All right.